This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that has passed more wind than Chelsea registered passes against Newcastle. This is true. This is not a promise or a threat. This is all true, especially in the Darren Mantle era. Uh, now, the fat the fat Spanish waiter uh-huh. turned into yep the fat Spanish waiter turned into the fat controller as as, a, as his Newcastle side parked the black and white bus in front of Chelsea on Sunday. Not content with keeping 11 men behind the ball, they also kicked Eden Hazard by rotation, something that hasn't been seen on an English football pitch since the days of Don Revy and Dirty Leeds. But justice prevailed as Chelsea ran out 2-1 winners. Uh, It needed a heavy dose of patience, although there was a nagging doubt that while it's all very nice outpassing a poor Newcastle side, passing for the sake of it is secondary to putting the ball in the onion bag. After all, the only stat that counts in football is the final score. And thankfully, it was 2-1 to Chelsea. Never in doubt. Now, the Chelsea fancast number 431. Art for art's sake. Indeed. Now, on this show of all shows tonight, I'm delighted. Sorry, by the way, it's a day late because, of course, on a Monday night, we normally do the show. But this Monday was a bank holiday Monday, an old quaint uh, English tradition whereby my wife demands that I focus my attention solely on her and not football. So, therefore, we're a day late as it's the Tuesday. But never mind. Uh, in the, on the show tonight, of course, as always, we've got the, uh, the legend in his own lunchtime, uh, Jonathan Kidd Productions. <laughs> How lovely to be described as that. Thank you very much indeed. It is about an hour. I've got an hour's worth of legend. Thank you very much. Um, it shouldn't If Darren Mantle was involved in this show, it would be fart for fart's sake, wouldn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? Very good. It I would. missed a trick it, there. You did miss a trick. Um, yeah, can I just yeah. say that um, uh, when you introduce both guests, the other two guests you have, um, you'll forgive me if I hardly say anything tonight because um, uh, we have two of the uh, of the great knowledges and exponents of uh, of Chelsea craft on the show and I will just 
you know, occasionally made the odd make the odd whimper as I'm corrected by both of them as to uh, my knowledge of the game and the club, because um, they are a couple of great stars, of course. So uh, yes, well, be prepared was, for a was, great show, everybody. It was in no way intended to shut you up, but now you've admitted that it might work. I might try yeah. and plan this more often. I'm just saying, jo- uh, Jonathan is actually spot on as the fates of the massively random Chelsea fan cast schedule uh, prove that uh, we've actually managed to fudge it in a sense so that we've got the absolutely wonderful Joe Tweedy back for a second week in a row um, and the equally wonderful very knowledgeable and erudite this is a man with his finger on the pulse he goes to all the press conferences and he knows his onions he's very lovely bloke and he's called Liam Toomey so there we go Joe first how are you mate? Yeah, really good. Uh, two in two, so slightly more prolific than Alvaro Morata. But uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Yes, indeed. And Liam, I think your your first show with us properly of the new season, is it not? Or am I wrong? It is indeed. And uh, mm. after that talk up, I'm kind of wondering whether I should hire you or JK as, as my agent. I think that was a. Uh, yes, I'm not going to get a better write up than that anywhere else. Yes, please, Liam. I'll just I'll I'll tell everyone how fabulous you are. That's all I'll ever do. Yeah. <laughs> it's always I'll a pleasure what... to talk to you guys, and um, I'm looking forward to talking talking with Joe as well because I don't think we've been on one of these together before. Wow. Well, there we go. That'll be interesting. I was just going to say, Joe, you you wouldn't want both Jonathan and I to be your agent because we wouldn't split the fifteen percent equally we would demand 15 percent each 15 leave you with six well okay 20 then it only it only 30 30 really so that means he'd only have 40 percent of himself uh and he'd have to pay us a special uh, fee as well he would <laughs> we're not cheap we're not cheap uh anyway we'll get on with the show uh, on the show tonight we will be discussing whether passing for the sake of it is a thing of beauty or a frustration and should chelsea have been more penetrative easy for me to say, against Newcastle. Uh, In part two, we're going to ask, should referees do more to act against the cynical fouling of Eden Hazard? And in a tale of two haircuts, we fall more deeply in love with Marcus Alonso and worry about David Luiz's momentary lapse of concentration. And I'm kind of excited by this. We're going to have a look ahead to the Europa League draw this Friday. Uh, In part three, we've got some emails for Jonathan to read out on Marcus Alonso. He just can't get away from the headlines at the moment. Uh, Who Chelsea's back four should be. Foreign opposition to Premier League games being played abroad. And me, yes, that would be right, me, Stamford Chidge, being spotted on NBC Sports this weekend. Mm. Uh, Plus, of course, if we have time, we are going to ask the Mixler listeners if they want to ask us any questions. Uh, And we will do our best to answer them. Now, in part four... Uh, we're going to have a roundup of Chelsea supporters' news, as we always do, and there's some, some interesting tidbits there for you to get your teeth into. But we're also going to have a look into the Sunday Times story that came out this weekend. It's, this, is, this is so serious that I actually bought a newspaper for the first time in years. I did the same um, thing. Yeah, I, I went down to the newsagent and I got a big old pile of Sunday of Sunday Times so I could actually read it, so I could be knowledgeable about what it was. But they had a story in their sport and their business section claiming that Chelsea is for sale. So I thought we ought to talk about that and ask what does it all mean. Now, of course, uh, don't forget you can listen to the show live Live. every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. Evil. Yes, you can can also tweet us uh, at Chelsea 
uh, fan cast during the show and uh, get in touch with us that way. Uh, loads of people in the house this week. Goodness gracious me, loads of people. Hazardous 17, Andrew Breast, Aussie signed my broken leg, a blue up north. That would be the lovely Jonathan Ellis, who writes all of our match uh, previews and reviews for the website. Evening, Jonathan. Uh, drink vodka, a fine gentleman and a scholar. He is from Sweden, and he and I will be drinking vodka very soon, I hope. Uh, Baba Chelsea, Lester H. Thorpe, also known as And Lester, Andy Silverman, Benny the Blue, Kenroy's in the house, Emilio Estevez, not the real one, I presume, but uh, if he is, welcome. <laughs> uh, the lovely Christopher Crystal Balls Bird. Oh, lovely. I mean, a load of you in there. Vinda Blue, Cans. Goodness me, Bonnie Rig Blues, the angry interns in there, fantastic, bloody hell, lots of old friends in here tonight. Steve Mower, there's people in here that I've had beer with, I'm delighted. Alright, that's it, it's too good, it can't get any better, so I'm going to go go and lie down now. Have a great show everybody. No, it's great to see the Mixler peeps in there, they are basically the reason why we love doing the show. Uh, so you do, do come and join them and uh, you can have a nice chat with them and us. So there we go. Right, after this short break we'll be talking about the football. Right. Um, yeah, strange old game. I mean, I was uh, I, I actually because I, I mean, basically, it was my my Mrs. Chidge's birthday um, on Friday, which is why I didn't do the Love Sports Show and left it in the culpable, not capable, the culpable hands of Jonathan Kidd and Aaron Paul. Um, and of course, I, I spent the entire weekend with her because a completely football-free weekend. But I did. I was allowed to sneak out and uh, go and watch it in the local Rileys in Victoria which is a, a rather interesting venue. But uh, it's great, actually. I had a really good seat, had a couple of beers, watched the game, got to shout at a very large screen. And it, and it was a bit shouty because, I mean, it's it was just, I'm getting my head around this, I'll be honest with you. You know, having been an absolute hater of the way that Barca, Barcelona played with their tick attacker and delighting in our, in our stoical putting 11 men behind the ball, frustrating the life out of them and making Pep Guardiola's blood vessels explode in frustration. I, I felt a weird kind of weirdly uncomfortable watching Chelsea do much the same to Newcastle and, and Newcastle fair play to them doing, you know, much the same to us. And I, I, I felt like I couldn't really criticise Newcastle for the, the very thing that we were so good at doing. Um, but uh, the, I think the first question, I'm, I'm, Jonathan, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to ask Mr. Statman this question. It would be kind of rude not to. But, uh, you know, we, apparently we broke the record for the most passes in a Premier League game uh, on, on Sunday, Joe. But surely, surely, surely to goodness, the only stat that matters is the scoreline. Yeah, I mean, I think much has been made of the, the, the passing statistics. And I think Jorginho is, is now has some sort of top three passes completed record as well um i mean ultimately joe joe, joe just just butt in a sec i i heard that Jorginho actually had more possession on his own than newcastle did in the entire yeah. game yeah which I is think just he, hilarious yeah i think he, he he completed more passes than the entire newcastle team by himself so i mean it, it's quite a obviously a very very distinctive uh way of playing but 
I mean, I think in terms of the style, I mean, I kind of call it AVB PTSD, which I think is a lot of Chelsea fans still have this kind of post-traumatic stress disorder of Andre Villas-Boas' high line against Arsenal and, and the way that he, he tried to kind of revolutionise the style of play. And I think a lot of people are kind of thinking back and, and making comparisons to, to AVB and to Scolari. And I think that there's more of a comfort when you look at managers like Conte and Mourinho, who more often than not are looking to sort of counter-attack and, as you say, set the team up in a slightly more kind of robust and, and, and maybe defensive manner. Um, and it, it is a huge departure from what we've seen from the past five years. And I don't think you can also separate the fact that that, that kind of style of play, particularly sort of 2012 and, and onwards, you know, it delivered a, a Champions League, it delivered a, a Europa League title, it's delivered, what, two, two Premier League titles. So I think Chelsea fans have comfort in, in that kind of style of play and, and also potentially that, that kind of style of management and, and tactical deployment. So... It's, it's a huge departure, but I mean, I think particularly when I, I kind of juxtapose these, this game to the Newcastle game last season, I think I would much rather see Chelsea, you know, on the front foot, trying to attack, trying to control the game, trying to impact the game, and, and rather than some of this kind of reactionary football, which I think particularly in sort of post-January Conte, we saw him, him you know, setting up to counteract teams like Watford and Bournemouth and teams that we really should should play off the park. So, I think for a lot of people, it, it is going to take a little while to get used to. I mean, I don't think we're kind of anywhere near sort of the fluidity that, that Sari would like at this point in time. I still think his his two to three month estimate is quite fair. But I would also say that it's the first time we've beaten Newcastle up there in about seven seasons. So, you know, for for all of the the kind of the, the, the moving of play, the switching of angles, the trying to sort of probe and, and create situations where we can, we can get shots on target and goals. You know, we, we have uh, had Mourinho and Conte for, for the past five seasons, and I don't, don't think any of them have secured a, a victory up there playing in, in kind of a very similar manner. So while, yes, it, it is going to take time for people to adjust to, I definitely see, you know, some people having some 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 reticence to kind of, you know, kind of get fully on board with it because, again, you know, a lot of people will throw the, the trophies thing at Sari. But, I mean, I think the, the proof really is in the pudding in terms of three matches played. We've scored, what, six, eight goals, something like that. Um no, it's it's definitely a work in progress, but I don't think you can sniff at, at beating a team who we traditionally struggle at. And whether it's you know passing, making seven million passes during a game, or or having ten percent possession and scoring in the last minute, you know three points are three points. I just think the question that most fans will need to ask themselves is is what's Fari doing in terms of the style of play he's trying to kind of put into action? Is that sustainable? Do our players going to want to come and play for Chelsea? Is this quote unquote philosophy? going to be something that, that is attractive for, for people to to want to come and play for. And I think a lot of those questions are answered in a positive manner. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, until we sort of get into maybe the December, January period, we're not really going to kind of know sort of where this team is at the moment. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. The most important stat is the scoreline. We won 2-1. Um, kind of the, the way we got there is many people meaningless. But I think for Sari, the, the style is also very much something that underpins the result. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, mate, I, I didn't really need a lot of convincing and, and I think you've done a pretty good job on convincing me of that. I think the thing that I I just get frustrated with is that, uh, and, I, and I have to be honest, I think with Jorginho playing, you know, his first uh, response is to always try and move the ball, ball forward. Yeah. So I think this mitigates what I'm about to say, but I, I do get frustrated by uh, Chelsea, who, who've done this for quite a while, it has to be said, this is not nothing to do with Sarri about this pissing about on the 18-yard yeah. line, yeah. you know, with sideways passes. I like to see them go forward. But I think, actually, the reality is we we have to be honest here and say that Newcastle were very effective at, at parking the bus. You know, they made it very hard 
for us to go through them. And of course, the risk is if you go wide and ping a ball into the box, then you lose possession and, and it invites them onto the counter-attack, which I think is what Gaffer, uh, Gaffer, Rafa the Gaffer's game plan was. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the thing is, Jonathan, I mean, you know, this is this is the crux of it, really. Is is it, on the one hand, a lack of penetration being a concern, or two, it was a case of being really, really patient and just keeping possession because we knew that ultimately we would break them down and we would score? Uh, yeah, I just thought we had a, we had to be persistent, which we were. I thought we were excellent, and I, I know it still is a work in progress. But uh, you know, eighty percent possession, where and we looked as if to me we were going to score. I don't think it was it was tick attacker for for its own for for its for tick attacker's sake. I thought uh, we did some some very excellent probing. I think that that um, uh, it wasn't the whole situation wasn't helped by. A dreadful refereeing, as always. Oh, as later, we will get, later. we will get, we'll yeah. get onto it. I know, but oh, but will it, we it, ever? Um, will we uh, ever? It, and uh, what will we ever get used to it? I know. I, 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 well, I thought we, I thought we'd made progress with that. But anyway, but um, I, I, I thought we, uh, you know, I, I really, I'm, I'm excited by it. I have to say, I'm hugely excited by the the style that we're attempting to play, and uh, it will take a few months. But I think. It's getting there, and I think we just have to work out that some players don't quite suit it at the moment. Morata doesn't suit it, um, uh, and perhaps people are saying he's not getting the service he ought to get. But uh, I think he's got to do a bit more work, um, work himself uh, to actually uh, to become. Uh, I don't know how he does it. I don't quite know tactically how you how he would get more involved, but he doesn't seem to be involved in anything at the moment. Um, and I thought Giroud had more to do when he came on because he seemed to get slightly more stuck in. Whether it is a question of being stuck in, I'm sounding very ancient here talking about being get stuck in, get stuck in, Blues. But um, I, I thought uh, um, uh, I, I really, I really enjoy the whole process of being utterly in control of the game. And I know they were trying to defend, but we prevented them from playing that um, that getting into our half just by being in in control of it so much. Um, no, I, 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 the thing is, but being being an oldster, I can remember attacking. I don't, I'm not getting the collie wobbles about us being def, not being defensive as we have been, because I just look back on on late '80s teams and and under Viali, where we seem to be very much on the front foot, and I found it exhilarating. And I'm finding this potentially hugely exhilarating, and I think it will be very attractive for people to come and want to play for us because I think we'll start winning things. And because, um, as I said last week, uh, you know, with his Napoli team, he made them into a terrific side and they didn't have as good players as we've got. And we've got terrific players. And uh, as is proof of the fact that we've won, we've won three in a row and I think we're going to keep on winning. And I still, as we've been saying, it's still work in progress. Um, uh, um, There's been a big argument on the Internet about how bad Louise was. We're going to get onto that later. Um, And yet he fits very much. Sarri's uh, the ability of the centre half to to ping the ball and pass it well. There isn't a better passer than him in the team at the moment to play in that position. Um, so it, it, it's a question of how uh, of how long this is going to take. In the meanwhile, I still think we're playing really excellently. We're not. It's not working exactly. And all right, we are. We are. We as Hullet was saying on match of the day. Perhaps we needed to get wider and push wider. But I I still felt uh, I felt great confidence that we were going to. We were going to score. And and the big thing about the team is they don't give up. And that's a real plus. And that was a plus when we won the title. And it wasn't a plus in the last few months of Conte's reign. Is we did we keep going. We kept going with it. 
mate I, I jonathan i think that's a really good point and and you, you know it was give given how hard it was to break the bastards down and and therefore you know breaking the deadlock with a with a well-deserved penalty more of which later but you know when we when the, when newcastle did very fortuitously get a goal back again more of that later the fact that we that we got a goal back we got the winner in the last 10 minutes you know i think that speaks volumes for the character and I, i'll say one thing for sarri he's He's galvanised this side again. They look like a happy bunch playing for each other again, which is, uh, which you know, which with the negativity we've had on a couple of occasions with both Mourinho and Conte is good to see. Liam, you were actually at the game, I presume. Yes, I was. You you were right. So you will have had a better a view of it uh, than us in many respects. This, people forget this when you're actually at the game. Uh, it's not like a badge of honour. You just you get to see the whole of the play. So well, I'd be curious. Well, as, well, well, I, well I do, yeah, not I a, do and yeah. I don't because I'm filing on the whistle and uh, Newcastle's press box was particularly exposed to the uh, the little microclimate they've got up there. It was quite windy, oh, right. quite wet. Um, right. and, uh, and and yeah, so it was, and you're kind of pitch level, so you can see you can see the things that are close up. You can see the what's going on with managers and with players and, and so on. But more tactical stuff, maybe you get more on second viewing. To be honest. Okay, well, that's very honest of you to say that. And I'm I'm so I think it was, Dan Levine used to post. Uh, I'm sure it was from Newcastle. The, the worst catering in the world he used to get a really rancid cup of coffee, and that was about it. So. It's not. It's not all. It's not all glory. I get that. Um, I think the thing, though, is, is is that I think people underestimate what a what a good win this was for us, actually, because Rafa is, you know, whatever one thinks about him, and of course, you know, most of us at Chelsea don't think much of him at all. He he's tactically astute, and he had set Newcastle. I mean, he got a lot of stick for it, actually subsequently about being so negative. So this was not a gimme. This was not an easy three points. And I, I, I think, you know, we could pick holes in it. Yeah, sure. But I think we've come away with three good points here. Absolutely. Um, I, there isn't a harder job in football than breaking down a well-organised team that isn't really trying to score themselves. And, um, and I think Benitez is one of the best coaches around at setting up a team to do that, you know, nullifying opponents really underpinned his best successes at, at Liverpool. And, and he's always been a pragmatist at heart. So I wasn't, I was actually a bit sort of surprised at the furore that his tactics caused afterwards. I thought maybe people didn't quite have enough to talk about coming out of the game because I wasn't surprised at all by the way he approached it. And I, I thought the way Chelsea played with lots of sideways passing um, forced to be a lot more patient was was really just necessitated by what Newcastle were doing. You had, you had a narrow five-man block, and that's that's really really difficult to break down. Now, when I watched the highlights again on on, on match of the day, I thought um, Rude Hullet made a really good point where he was actually looking at Cesar Azpilicueta, um, saying that he wasn't getting forward enough to supply the attacking width that Chelsea need in this system because you, you, Eden Hazard naturally cuts inside. Pedro's obviously making those out-to-win runs to try and get into scoring positions. And so Chelsea were kind of, they were being funnelled, but they were also kind of funnelling themselves through the middle of the pitch. And uh, and that was kind of where Newcastle wanted them to be for most of the game. And to be honest, until they got the, the, the penalty, uh, I didn't think the goal was coming. And then I certainly didn't think the, the winner was coming, although I was pretty frantically typing by that point. Um, mm. So it, all things considered, yeah, an absolutely great result. And, funnily enough it's the first time any Chelsea team has has won up there since 
the days of AVB, the the glory days of AVB. So um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, Liam, I, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because I mean a lot of the games <laughs> that we played up there have been at the end of the season with nothing on it. I mean, last year was a classic example. We had the FA Cup five days later. Conte had lost the plot and the team. So, you yeah. know, I, I think a few of those victories are perhaps not completely what they, you know, that there's more to them than than the result in that respect. But I, I do take your point. I think there's an interesting thing that, that Jonathan picked up on, actually. I mean, you know, Morata seemingly not really in the game much. In fact, I, I think that Morata's sole contribution really was to get in front of a goal-bound shot from Aspilicueta, wasn't it? But Giroud, <laughs> yes. Giroud did, yeah, Giroud did, I think, you know, I mean, Jonathan says it, he gets stuck in. I think what I would say about about Olivier Giroud is that he's a much more experienced striker than Morata. So, you know, and it, it, we, we know this for a fact because he, he went through the entire World Cup without scoring a goal, but he brings so much more to the role than scoring goals. Now, I know, I know as David Coleman famously said in the 1974 FA Cup final, uh, you know, what was it? Keegan scores, goals pay the rent. That's right. And and they do if you're a striker. But the reality is, is that you need to be doing a lot more. And I think Giroud certainly looked far more adept and experienced at contributing to build up and play and everything else than Morata did. So, I mean, can you, can you see Sarri actually starting with Giroud or is he plan B? I think he's plan B for the for the foreseeable, purely because I think actually the way the game pla- played out favoured Giroud, because when you've got a deep-lying defence, you do kind of need your striker to play most of the game with his back to goal and, and, and try and link up with midfield runners, and that is what Giroud does best. Um, and Morata, if you look at his comments from a couple of weeks back, saying that Conte's system didn't really suit him, that's what he was getting at, was that he's a far, he thinks he's a far more effective player attacking space in behind and you saw that against Arsenal when they dared to play on the halfway line he he showed how how dangerous he can still be even in the middle of a confidence crisis so I think it was more a case of um, styles make fights on this one I think Giroud was really really well cut out to for a game like this against Newcastle but when teams don't quite play as defensively as this I think Morata will get a little bit more joy and he'll get slightly better service as as Chelsea iron out the kinks in this system as well. He needs more space, basically, I think is what you're saying. Right, yeah. good stuff, gents. Um, we're going to move to part two in a sec, uh, and then we're going to be asking, should referees do more to act against the cynical fouling of Eden Hazard? And in, ter- in a tale of two haircuts, we fall more deeply in love, if that was even possible, with Marcus Alonso, and we worry about David Luiz's momentary lapse of concentration, not for the first time. Plus, we're going to have a look ahead to the Europa League draw on Friday. See you in a sec. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and uh, you're listening, of course, to the Chelsea Fancast. And. Uh, do not forget, good people, that we have lots of wonderful writers, some of whom are listening live as we speak and are in the Mixler chat room, and they uh, they they very kindly uh, write lots of really good pieces. It's amazing, actually. We've got we've got Liam who, who who writes fantastically for ESPN. We've got Joe who, of course, writes some great blogs for his own site, The Plains of Almeria, and occasionally contributes something for us. But uh, yeah, go and check our website out. There's some great stuff there: match previews, match reviews, lots of opinion pieces. Um, 
uh, Bex, a great drinking partner of crime of mine at games, has written a superb article about her love for Marcus Alonso. Well worth a read. And, of course, Hion Carbis puts it all together, the great, wonderful young man from Wales. Right, now, enough. Uh, let's talk about Eden Hazard. Um... I think the interesting thing, actually, was, uh, you know, there was a lot of conjecture, wasn't there, before the game as to whether he'd start. And then Sarri kind of pretty much said, yes, he is going to start, but he can only really put together 60, 60 minutes or so, was the feeling. But And apparently that was Sarri's plan. And he said in the presser afterwards that uh, that actually Kovacic had asked to come off because he was also only going to get about 60 minutes, not completely up to match speed yet. And by that time, Sarri had already brought on two subs. So uh, that meant that he had to leave Hazard on. Um, first thing I would say about Hazard, I mean, I'm not bothered about whether he's fit enough to play or not. That's up to Sarri. He sees him in training. But what I am intrigued by, Joe, um, is his clear license and freedom to roam. It looks like he's been given uh, the role of, OK, you're our creative player. You're You're our best player. Don't you worry about tracking back. You just go and create havoc wherever you want. And I kind of like that. I think that this is... Oh, I love it. You know, in, in in a sense, Joe, it's it's kind of what we've been saying for years, that, you know, come on, let's build the team around him and let him do what he does best. Let's not, not stifle and constrain him by getting him to defend. Is that what you're seeing, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think the the really interesting thing for me was that for the first time in... In a while, I mean, he was very, very frequently appearing on the right-hand side, almost as a traditional sort of right-sided winger as well. Um, and that, that ability to actually take people on on the outside, cut inside, and just generally just just kind of, kind of, I suppose, go where kind of the game dictates him. And I think in terms of his his playing style, you know, he's obviously incredibly effective playing exclusively from the left-hand side. But giving him this sort of freedom, you you kind of get a little bit of him at number 10. You saw some kind of really sort of nice ideas and nice passes in those central areas, but also his ability to then sort of move to the right-hand side, some of the combination play with, I think it was was Pedro and and, and also um, Aspilicueta and, and other players, Kante. And, and also, I think, you know, the, the combination with, with uh, Kovacic is also something that, that's going to be, be very fruitful for the club. But I think finally we're seeing a manager who is almost giving him just a, a complete license to do whatever he wants. And, you know, he's still, uh, he was still getting back and doing some of his defensive work. And I think probably, you know, one of the criticisms that he's maybe had at his time at Chelsea is that he he's very good at going forward. But I think some fans would look at his commitment to, the, to going backwards. But I think now that you've kind of given him this sort of onus to be the, the absolute kind of creative fulcrum of the team, he probably has been for the past few years. But I think this is really kind of a defined strategy now just to let him go where he wants. The actual willingness, I think he actually made a couple of nice sort of challenges back in his own half, um, which is something you probably wouldn't associate with him. So maybe the kind of desire for him now that he's he's possibly got a coach who is, is there to extract kind of every sort of bit of creative sort of genius that he has out of him and letting him express himself and letting him kind of do what he wants, that he's also going to give that back to the to the team as well now. So, yeah, I mean, I thought he actually had a really, really good game. Um, I know we're going to talk about the, the sort of fouling and, and stuff like that earlier, but... I think it's you know no surprise that within about 50 seconds, or was it Matt Ritchie? You know, I think that the Sky commentators like put it quite mildly, but you know the, the guy's stamped on his Achilles within sort of the first minute of the game, and I think Should that kind sent of sets off. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, it was a really unnecessary, over-the-top challenge. Which awful, think, awful challenge. You know, yeah. the the referee just sort of glossed over, and so did Sky Sports as well. But yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're going to see, particularly again, we're talking about his first start. You know, in the in the league under Sorry, I think potentially that Sorry could be the coach that 
maybe pushes him to that sort of next level. Um, I've noticed that he's actually trying to shoot a lot more now. He's, you know, there was one instance where he definitely overplayed it when he potentially could have had a shot, but at least in terms of his sort of shot numbers, you know, he's, he's definitely shooting more than he has done for the past two, three seasons. So maybe it's, it's the confidence in, in terms of what I was giving him. Maybe it's the freedom of this role to just kind of play wherever he wants. But, you know, uh, we look at him and, and look at him getting fitter as the season goes on. I think he's going to be an absolute nightmare for, for teams to contend with him. I think ultimately what Newcastle tried to do and what they did actually get away with for a lot of the game is really only the one away to stop Hazard in that kind of mood because, you know, you can't you can't really push him off the ball. He's got that wonderful low centre of gravity, changes direction, as well as probably anyone in world football. And, you know, if you're allowed to kick him off the pitch as Newcastle tried to, that's one of the ways of slowing him down. But I think credit to him, he just dusts himself off, gets up. And even in the press, he was saying, you know, it's just one of those things. I get kicked, I dribble with the ball or he's not complaining. Um, rarely you just see him sort of rolling around on the ground and clutching his, you know, whatever part of the body has been kicked. So, yeah, I think ultimately that Sari potentially is going to be the guy that takes him to the next level. And I think, you know, we, we saw a very, very small uh, kind of sample of, of that against Newcastle, creativity-wise, dribbling-wise, but just his general ability to play sort of anywhere in the final third is is not something that I think we've, we've potentially unlocked before to this extent. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see him going forward. Jonathan, we need to talk about the assault charges. I mean, he's, you know, Joe's right. Matt Ritchie, you know, uh, raked down his Achilles after it was about a minute and a half. I thought Diarmi was the worst offender. He was an absolute beast. The man looked about twice the size of everybody else on the on the pictures I was seeing. But they were basically that they were basically kicking him in rotation, weren't they? It's the old Don Revy dirty leads trick. Well, you remember that Everton did it as well against us. I yeah. think it was in the FA Cup, and the, and of course United did it uh, when uh, um, uh, who was it? What's his face was sent off for one foul, um, but he'd it was Oliver was the referee who I think is a bit more uh, a bit less prehistoric than than his than his Xander Herrera got sent that's off, right absolutely well yeah, absolutely yeah Herrera and Herrera had hadn't done anything hadn't tackled him and it was his first time but if you remember um uh, Oliver had because uh, Herrera was captain wasn't he I think of that evening and uh, Oliver had gone up to him and said your team are fouling uh, hazard in a serial manner and the next person who does it I will give a yellow card to and that very next moment Hazard was fouled by Herrera and he had already got a yellow card and he was off. And they tried to say it was only his second foul, you know. And of course, you can see that it's been worked out and it was worked out again. And I think the referee, I can't remember his name, um, uh, but it was was just completely inept. And then, of course, Mm. um, Kovacic has a kind of dubious follow up and a bit of a scrap and gets booked. And meanwhile, Hazard is just having... A grievous bodily harm um, imposed upon him. I mean, dreadful, dreadful refereeing. I mean, and, and Sim, we know, Sim, we, we then ultimately will get on to the the uselessness of the of the uh, referee's assistant, the linesman, missing a blatant elbow. For God's sake, you know, we're, and we're going to get on to the penalty, aren't we, as well as that? But I just found the standard of offic- officiating uh, absolutely but John, use- Jonathan, useless. What, what, what- what should they be doing? I mean, you know, I, I, I'll tell you something else. You know, the thought occurred to me watching it. I mean, as as many people know, in fact, there are yet there are people yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who yes. know my loathing for Rafa Benitez. But I, I kind of had a suspicion that this 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 was a manager who has knowledge of Hazard and knows that he doesn't perhaps like it up him. And I can just see the the talk. Right, he doesn't like it up him. 
Get into him early. Leave a few on him, and you'll quieten him out down, and he'll go out. Is that out of the true game. though? Is that true, Chidge? Has that has that been the experience? I always think he I, keeps I, going. I think he's a he's a brave brave chap. I think he just uh, well, he copes I, I, with I it. Would... I mean, I thought that first foul was dreadful. You could tell because it took him about a minute to recover from it, and I was worried that he wouldn't recover. Yeah, and I thought I it was typical too. of the Newcastle crowd that they, of course, all then booed him. Because they thought he was shamming. I mean, no, well, just ignorant, ludicrous, mate, completely you know, ignorant. But I get, but got absurd that they don't appear to be watching the game properly. That always, that always annoys me. Um, but I'm, weirdly, my I've got some building work going on, and my uh, um, the foreman is a, a referee's assessor, and he always comes in when I come uh, come down in the morning. He's, he's he always, he's got a key. He gets. He says, Jonathan, what did you make of that? Uh, what did you make of Hazard at the weekend? He said, What would you What would you have done in the first? minute and i said if i'd been refing i'd have uh, i'd have sent him off i'd have sent richie off he said oh there you are he said the problem is he said if you've created a rod for your own back he said what are you going to do for the rest of the 90 minutes he said what normally the advice we're given is is to just let it go because it's so early on i said but but for god's sake john he committed a foul that should have been a sending off. He said, all right, could have given him a yellow card. He said, but I agree with you. To let it go completely was wrong. He said, but you don't want to be sending people off in the first two minutes. He said, because then where do you go from there? And you think, this is an assessor. This is their view. These are the, this is the view, the view of refs. Is they think, oh, hang on, better not. it's a terrible foul, but just better let it go. No, you send him off. It doesn't matter if it destroys the game. I don't care. This big thing of the game as a spectacle. If a person is intent on taking somebody out, they should be booked. I mean, he did it again later, Richie. Did he get, I don't think he got booked. I, th- I don't think anybody got booked, did they? Other than that bloke, um, uh, uh, the big bloke who got substituted, who gave away the penalty. He got booked and he held up a finger to say first time because they were doing it serially. I mean, you have to be really thick not to observe players um, taking time out to foul the best player. You know, I mean, even at park level, you can work it out yourself. Oh, that bloke's taken him out. Oh, now the other one's done it. Oh, now the other one's done it. Oh, now the other one's done it. They're doing it in a serial manner. It's really obvious. So I felt that referee's performance was absolutely useless. Uh, I've yeah, bemused, I... bemused by how he manages to be a Premier League referee. I mean, absolutely yeah. absurd. Well, by the way, just as a quick, a quick extra, the fa- the goal that. Um, uh, the handball. What was that game? Was that in the Palace game? Was it? Was it? Was it Palace? Um, I, I can't remember where the guy. Wolves, the guy Wolves went. And... Well, that's right. The Wolves game. He yeah. actually said the referee's assessor said, "I don't know why that was." They were all complaining. He said because it was accidental and it hit him on the head, then the hand. He said that's absolutely allowed. He said the goal was absolutely. He said it, it, even if nobody saw it, even if they had seen it, they should have allowed it. And I said, yeah. do well, everybody, Dermot, does everybody agree well, about no, that? Well, no, no, they don't, Jonathan. No, Dermot don't. O'Leary on Talk Sport last night was saying there's kind it of... wouldn't be allowed. There's, nothing, there's no kind of law against it, but it's kind of a, a convention that if, if, if the if ball goes into the goes goal in off the somebody's goal. hand, yeah. then you don't allow it. You don't you know? give so it. They, you give it. But no, but he, was being a, he was trying to be a purist, my, uh, my, my builder's foreman well, today. He's, but, um, well, he's, he, he's wrong. Um, listen, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, you, you know, you could tell him from me. Chid says he's wrong. Not that I know anything about refereeing. He'll be here. But I yeah, tell you what, I might not know a lot about refereeing, but I know I know when they're an idiot, and this guy clearly was. Oh, and I think what, worry, what worries me, what worries me, is that this is this is you know we're, we're going to see more of this. Do you think? Do you think that this is going to be a problem going forward, uh, Liam? That they're just going to single him out? And I worry, I worry, like I did in the first minute. I thought, oh shit, he's going to go off injured, you know, and he could get injured, and that's going to really cripple us, let alone him. Well, I, th- I think it's been happening throughout Hazard's Chelsea career. Um, I mean, I, I remember a certain. 
Chelsea manager called Jose Mourinho saying once upon a time that Hazard should should get a, a second pair of shin pads specially designed for the backs of his legs. Yeah. Um, because it was going on then. And then, of course, Mourinho left Chelsea and became one of the managers that targeted Hazard yeah. on a, well, yeah. in, a, in a fairly simple kind of way. That, well, that which kind of plays into my theory about Benitez also having prior knowledge of Hazard. And I actually don't think that he does hide. I really don't. I think he does actually take a, a huge amount of stick. I, I think that Hazard only goes down when he's hurt. So... You know, I don't think he's a pussy, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that a lot of these managers get the impression, oh, well, if we kick him out of the game, you know, either he'll go off injured or, or, or he'll hide. So there, there may be something to that. Who knows? I think just to finish this off, uh, we should note, we should note that it was Hazard's 70th Premier League game with the penalty that he scored. And he is now only behind Frank Lampard uh, with 147 and Didier Drogba with 104 Premier League goals. Uh, so fair play to Eden Hazard. Now, look, we, we keep talking about this penalty, so we really need to get into this now. Um, hmm, it's a tricky one for me. I mean, I've heard many, many pundits absolutely saying it was a penalty. I think I, I might go back to Jonathan for this because he's kind of our refereeing aficionado. But, you know, there is a sense that uh, always we grew up with this idea. Well, I got the ball, ref. I got the ball. But I think the point is that whilst the defender may have got the ball, he then cleaned Alonso out. So actually, it's still a foul, and therefore, no doubt, it was a penalty. But there are a lot of mugs like Shearer saying, oh, it's not a penalty because he got the ball. This is a myth, isn't it, Jonathan? It's not about getting the ball anymore. It's about whether you clean the bugger out or not. Absolutely, it's the follow-through. But I always thought the tackle from behind had now been outlawed, which because it was a tackle from behind. They could, did, were they trying yeah. to make out it was from the side? It wasn't. He was right behind him. But yeah, he, yeah. he, he completely cleaned him out. And what I just get so annoyed by the fact it's slowed down more and more, and then you sort of start analysing, you know, which bit of his leg hit which, which bit. The referee's just watching, he, and he goes straight through, and he, he does a scissor kick. The bloke, my, once again, my assessor mate said, it was a scissor kick, of course it was a penalty. And it was, it was oh, a scissor well, kick. Yeah, it was, yeah, absolutely. You know, and he got him, and he got him. So it's a penalty. And that's the one thing he so, did right, the ref, thank goodness for that. Well, indeed, uh, we'll give him that one. Um, the thing is, though, uh, Joe uh, Alonso strikes yet again. Uh, you know, not only uh, not only does he win the penalty, uh, he also basically assists the own goal for the winner. The man can do no wrong in my book, and he's got the best hair in football. Uh, would you agree on all of that? <laughs> definitely. I mean, definitely the hair part. I don't think anyone could could really carry off the George Michael look as well as he has. Um, he's doing quite well in that respect. I mean, I, I think at the moment, you, you you know, we're talking about sort of penetration earlier and, and maybe a slightly ineffectiveness around the goal. I mean, until we have a centre forward that can consistently threaten, until we have maybe midfielders that can chip in with goals. I mean, regardless of, I mean, I, I'm not Marcus Alonso's biggest fan, but until that, that point comes where we have a team that, that can do what he can do, he has to play every week. And I think people maybe have to start giving him a little bit more credit because, I, I can't think of a, a fullback. I mean, he, he is a fullback now. He's definitely not a wingback who is just that dangerous around the 18-yard box. I mean, he's constantly, he's, he's almost like Frank Lampard in a really strange way, that he seems to be in the right place at the right time in the penalty area, like nine times out of 10. He's got better instincts than most of our forward players in terms of when to attack the ball. And, you know, he, he constantly seems to be coming up with these very, very match-defining moments. And, you know, again, you know, you can pick apart his his defensive work for as much as you want, but you know, for, for for the for the goals, he's come up with two absolutely defining moments. You know, obviously the 
the the, the run and, and then the sort of the, the ability to to draw the foul for the penalty was was fantastic. But again, you know, we're talking about a left back who has probably better attacking instincts than pretty much all our forwards in terms of his ability to to read the the flick from Giroud, be in the right place at the right time, get a pretty decent connection on the ball as well. And yeah, sure, it was it was an own goal from Yedlin, but I mean, a lot of that was from was from Alonso. So. I mean, for me at the moment, he's he's one of our most threatening players. And to say that that is your left back is also a little bit strange. We all know the quality he has in terms of dead ball situations, in terms of any kind of free kick around the area. So, you know, I, th- I think people, and, and until we we kind of are in a position where we're maybe fortunate enough that the midfield and football start ch- chipping in with more goals. And for me, Alonso is arguably the second most important player because he's about the only player behind Hazard who seems to be kind of really having an influence in the final third at the moment. And you can't take that away from him. Um you know, plus, I mean, obviously, he's got fantastic hair as well, Chidge. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's done. He's done. He's done. You know, he looks. He looks like a very, very good player. I mean, I part of me wishes or thinks maybe that he could play up front. I mean, he's probably one of the best finishers we've got at the club. Um, you know, he just. I think he's just. He's just a good player. You know, I mean, I, I, I will poke holes at him defensively, but as I said, you, you cannot knock the effect that he has on games and. You know, I mean, if he makes a defensive rick and then then goes and contributes to two goals and we win the game, I don't really care so much. He should, for me, he should play every game because yeah. of his, his commitment and his uh, athleticism and his the fact that he changes the way he, he doesn't have a very good first half. He makes a huge effort in the second half. You can see that see him um, going up several gears. I think if there's a way of keeping him in the team. Because I agree that defensively he does make the odd, odd mistake. He's not he wanders about a bit. If there's a way of supporting him in the team to play, I don't know how you do that tactically. But if there's a way, to me, he should always be picked. I think he's a f- phenomenal player. I really do. Jonathan and, and, and Joe, actually, uh, actually, particularly Joe, because, I mean, you know, we, we, we're on Twitter all the time, and, and as is Liam, of course, and... There's this, you know, ridiculous debates that go on all the time about, oh, Marcus Alonso's this, Marcus Alonso's that, or 140 seconds on while Marcus the Reptile <laughs> Alonso should go. Reptiles oh, out! God, said, God. Said, with, said with massive eyebrows. Um, but, Joe, the reality <laughs> is, you know, the, the idea is, uh, the idea is surely... You know, a lot of these people that that that, that seem to be—I hate to use the word—no uh, pun intended—but hating on Alonso are putting forward the case that Emerson should be playing. Now, my own view on this is that um, I haven't seen a lot of Emerson play. None of us have really, because he hasn't had much chance. But I mean, Alonso for me is a very experienced footballer, is technically very adept, which is going to suit Sarri. He's done it. He's proving it. He, he's a valuable player to our team. So, what, if anything, can Emerson offer that Alonso can't? I think the the only thing that I would suggest, and and maybe I, I you know the fact that Sari is not putting him in because of this reason, I think maybe says a lot. But I just think in terms of his engine, I think one of the the criticisms I have Alonso is you could see for the for their goal, you know, the fact that I think it was Giroud for some reason was actually filling in at left back because Alonso couldn't get there. That's the only thing that I think Emerson has ahead of him is that he has more pace. He, pace, he's got pace, and I, I think it's also just that capacity to to run non-stop up and down because I think Alonso is very good at getting forward. But I mean, if I'm being a bit critical, I think particularly in the community shield and the few times this season, you know, there have been times when he's been asked to kind of get back quickly and, you know, he's 40, 30, you know, 30, 40 yards up. He's a bit knackered. Exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, him and Hazard, you know, you compare them to the right hand side, they're pretty much the the, the main attacking outlet we have. I think at one point we had maybe 65, even 70% of our attacks were going down the left hand side. So, 
I mean, that, that's the only thing that I can really say, if, you know, being, being very critical and maybe slightly objective that he has. But I think the fact that Sari is still picking Alonso ahead of him says a lot. Because, you know, I, I would have said in the summer that, that that requirement of being able to get up and down was very important for Sari having watched Napoli. But I think maybe Alonso's kind of sort of maybe just unorthodox goal threat that he brings to the team is, is something that Sari maybe has noticed. Um, particularly, I think his, his ability to combine with Hazard is... Is also uh, they've got a very good understanding. Maybe Palmieri or Emerson doesn't have that. Um, but yeah, I mean that that would be the only thing that I could I could knock of Alonso. But again, I mean I think yeah, kind of this season what we're seeing is, is in terms of going forward, in terms of what he adds to the team, in terms of that slightly unorthodox goal threat. You know he is he is a left back. I, I don't think really that Palmieri can can compare with him. Um, yeah, so I mean it, it's it's that it's that defensive stuff for me. But I think. You know, that the proof is in the pudding with Sari. I think you know if he if he felt that Alonso was was that much of a, a kind of impingement to the team, he wouldn't be playing. So you know, I think I think that says a lot about how how he's viewed by Sari. But yeah, I mean that that would be the only thing I could see in terms of differences. But as I said, I don't think at the moment you can really remove uh, remove Alonso because he's just he's just such a, a threat to the opposition pretty much every single game he's playing at the moment. Um, I'm gonna you know ask Jonathan a little bit. Uh, about David Luiz because it kind of links in with that but before I do that it would be nice to hear from from Liam who I I feel that we're neglecting somewhat and I need to be very mindful of that tonight with uh, with four people on the show who like to talk a lot but um, I, I want to talk about Newcastle's goal Liam I mean you may have well have had a good view of this if you're a pitch side but I cannot for the life of me understand there are two things I can't understand about this one how on earth uh, the linesman missed uh, Yedlin basically, you know, elbowing Oliver Giroud in the throat. And secondly, I cannot understand why professional footballers can't play to the whistle or ball watch, which is David Luiz, really, who, uh, you know, basically waited for the ball to come to him rather than attacking it, thereby, you know, allowing the, the striker to get in front of him and score. But let's deal with the elbow first. How on earth did that, did that guy miss it? And why didn't he get a yellow or even a red? Well, I can only see two reasons, uh, maybe why. One was that the speed at which it happened, the speed at which the collision happened, because that Giroud was going at quite some some pace to, towards um, towards Yedlin, and Yedlin, you know, at high speed, you could maybe convince yourself that Yedlin was turning turning his back to try and block Giroud off from the ball and and shield the ball rather than leading with his elbow. Uh, the referee certainly didn't have a good view of the elbow. The, li- the linesman, yeah, I take your point. He he probably should have seen it. The right other one is maybe the linesman. The, yeah, the yeah. The, well, the other one is I think um, maybe that the way Giroud goes down uh, maybe influences influences their judgment. We know it shouldn't, but we also know that it does. Um, yeah. And uh, 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 those are the only two reasons I can see. But once but once can it I add happens, one more? Just quickly, add one more. I think possibly the linesman could have been looking down the line. For, for yeah, offside. maybe, maybe, Think possibly that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, I mean, we don't tend to appreciate with these things just how much is going on. I mean, did you did you see the video earlier this week of uh, the the what was going on in in Michael Oliver's earpiece during yes, last year's FA yes. Cup final? God save Eden Hazard penalty award. I mean, it sounds like an absolute circus for a referee. Oh. From beginning to end, I don't envy them at all. So uh, I, I, I do think that they've got a lot to process in a short space of time. But it, it was one that they should have picked up. Having said that, when they don't, um, you know, the, the, only this week, um, Sarri was talking about the fact that he's re-educating Chelsea's defenders to defend 
looking at the ball rather than the man. And, you know, talking about ball watching, I'm not sure he quite meant it in the manner that David Luiz <laughs> demonstrated I mean, at the near post. It I mean, was, it was, you've got yeah, to attack that. Awful. You've got to attack I mean, that ball. I know, absolutely. That's what I mean. I was told that from, you know, the age of five. But it, and the worst thing of all was it was like it happened in slow motion. You know, we could all, it was like, he's behind you. You know, you could see it was happening and he just stood there waiting for the ball to come to him. And I, I thought, oh dear. I mean, look, let's be honest. You know, Louise is, is you know, always going to be prone to the odd lapse in concentration. We talked about it last week and we, we caught, you know, basically he's such a good footballer that maybe he just gets complacent, you know, uh, and switched off, you know. He, he he needs, you know, for for me, in a sense, Louise is the archetypal big game player. You know, the bigger the stakes, the more focused and concentrated he becomes. And when it's, you know, when Chelsea are cruising, as in fact they pretty well were, I think he does switch off a bit. And I think you're always going to get it with him. But for me, it's more, you know, his occasional rick is more than made up for with what he brings to the team. And I th- I think... You know, I, I I think he's a, I think he's a good defender. I don't buy this bullshit that he can't defend at all. I also think that that Jonathan's point earlier on about the fact that you know his distribution and his ability with a football at his foot is is exceptional and absolutely needed in that defence to play the ball out the back, which is what Sarri wants. And don't underestimate his ability to ping moment. a long pass as well. You know, I mean, he's he can ping a forty yard of defeat. Not many defenders in the world can do that. Sorry, Jonathan, you you were about to say. No, something. I was just going to say. I think it's what gets him selected ahead of Christensen and Cahill, um, because there's a a, a, a clamour on Twitter to put Christensen in ahead of him, and and you, he, he can't pass the ball anywhere near as well. He might be a better defender, but he can't. Um, he can't distribute the uh, the ball in the way that Louise does, as you say, Chidge. He's a he's a he's a, a terrific footballer, and you have to remember, of course, that he was absolutely brilliant during the um, the, the season we last won the title. So yeah, exactly. um, I don't I don't see why he shouldn't maintain that level with more practice. And uh, I just think he gets a bit dozy. I thought he was being quite yeah. cool. You know, I just think he thought, oh, I've just had the ball away. There's nobody coming anywhere near me. But you you think perhaps. Um, he'll, uh, he'll, you know, if he gets a rocket up his his backside from Sarri for being for not concentrating, then he'll be better next time. I I have great faith in him. But as you say, th- these huge passes to feet are just absolutely fantastic and and fit what Sarri's after. In fact, you know more so. I'm sure he didn't have a, a centre half who could do that at Napoli. And to me, that uh, it's all the ball players are going to get in the team. Um, uh, and that and that's why I have such. I'm so optimistic about the side because it's uh, to see them uh, going forward. I just think the skill of being able to keep the ball like that is phenomenal. They, but I, I, I and as, as as Joe has said, you do need um, uh, uh, you do need a striker who can who can be much have much more presence and uh, and score. Um, and, and that's the one area where I think we're we're missing. And I don't think it is either uh, ultimately Morata or or Giroud. I think it's a different player. I don't know who it would be, um, but let's hope anyway, you can make Arata into something. Yes, move on, move on. Yeah. Well, no, no, going back, I haven't finished with Louise yet. Uh, before you know, going okay, off on okay. Morata and Giroud, but um, I was going to ask Joe uh, about this Louise thing. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Louise, and you know, I, I, I kind of accept his faults because I, I love his strengths. But the, uh, you know, the other side of that coin is we've got Christensen waiting in the wings, and and I actually have to say that I don't, I don't think, I don't think Christensen's you know, yet the uh, accomplished, experienced defender that a lot of people are saying he is, 
you know, he was guilty of making the kind of mistakes that you would expect any young player trying to make his way into the Premier League play last year. So I, I don't I don't think necessarily he's the answer yet, but I know you're you're a big fan of the Ute, so I'd be interested to hear what you know or what you think. Yeah, I mean, to start with, I mean, it's quite interesting. A lot of people have this perception of, of David Luiz being this kind of error-prone sort of psycho part, like, you know, psychopath defender. But, I mean, I was actually just looking at some of his numbers and, and in... What's this? 127 Premier League games to Chelsea. He's actually only made one error. I mean, it depends if you believe the statistics or not, but one error that's led to a goal. Now, how people talk about him, it seems like every you know you'd expect that to yeah. be be double figures. So, I think maybe the, the perception is a lot of that's reinforced by that whole Gary Neville PlayStation comment. I think that's that's kind of plagued him for most of his career. But yeah, I mean, he he was certainly kept kind of on his on his heels for the goal. I, mean, I think partly that he seemed a little bit kind of off put by the the forearm smash. Um, from from Yedlin to Giroud and kind of almost you know it's one of those sort of things that you teach kids sort of play to the whistle he almost was kind of expecting the the play to be stopped and just kind of got caught caught square and I think it was also a really good header I think a lot of people are not necessarily saying that you know it's an absolute bullet of a header as well but I mean taking it back to Christensen I mean I think for for me personally I think it's the the, the physicality of, of Louise and, and Rudiger that 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 Sarri really likes I mean you know Louise in terms of his his actual physique what's he six two six foot three He's an absolute unit, and, and Rudiger is, is the same. I think that that Christensen maybe lacks that kind of physical edge, and it might be due to his age. You know that he's he's quite a slight centre half, and I think typically, you know, if you look at the Napoli team that, that sorry had Koulibaly was was about as, as big and powerful a defender as you're going to get. You know, he likes players who who also obviously have a lot of technique, but they have that kind of physical prowess in, in the back as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a, from a physical from a physical standpoint, that, that Christensen is going to struggle a bit to to kind of become. Um, sort of a sorry type centre half. I mean, ability-wise, I think his his sort of distribution is slightly underrated. I think particularly under Conte, and I think these are comments that maybe Cesc Fabregas made about, about about Conte kind of telling him to play sort of more safe, you know, retain possession, don't try risky passes. And I think particularly with when Christensen was that kind of middle middle centre back, um, that, that probably those sort of uh, instructions were probably related to him as well to try and keep things simple, to not try and play penetrating passes because. I think if you look at his time in Germany for München Gladbach, actually his ability to bring the ball out from the back, his ability to play um, those kind of line-breaking passes into midfield or into forwards, he was doing it quite regularly for München Gladbach. Um, yeah. Maybe I think instruction-wise that we've seen under under Conte that he wanted him to be a little bit more risk-averse. Um, but I mean, personally, I think it's it's really down to this question of physicality. You know, I think Rudiger and Luis are better in the air. I think they're more physically dominant. I think Rudiger obviously has the the recovery pace that that Christian definitely doesn't have. And I think Louise has the experience. And, you know, there was there was obviously a reason why Sorry was trying to target someone like Daniele Rugani or, or another centre half in the summer. Because I think again Rugani is six foot three, six foot four. You know, he's also a big uh, kind of sizable presence at the back. So I think Christensen is going to maybe have to put on a bit of weight in terms of sort of going to the gym and bulking up a little bit to add physicality to his game. I do think he's got the raw skill set though. I think he's he's still an incredibly talented player. And again, you know, this is a guy who is maybe three, four years away from being kind of near his peak. So I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not saying people are writing him off, but I wouldn't wouldn't dismiss him out of hand at the moment because I do think he has the tools to to be a sorry centre-back. But, you know, a lot of young players have to, <clears throat> at Chelsea have to learn and they have to kind of adjust to the, the new style of playing. And I think at the moment, what Jonathan's saying, right, you know, Louise's ability to play those passes. And we saw um, Rudiger as well play one or two really fantastic passes into Morata, that kind of in-to-out sort of uh, pass that he was playing. You know, once... Uh, You've got two centre backs that can do that, have physical a physical skill set, have pace, have power, 
um, have experience. And it's really, it's going to be difficult for him to dispossess them in the team. But, you know, it's it's something that he's going to have to work on this season. But, I mean, I'd, I'd be inclined to say that he'll probably start a lot of the Europa League games and cup games and he's going to have to make his mark there. But I think at the moment, that in terms of a first-choice pairing, a lot of people will make, a, you know, about the mistake for the goal. But, you know, we've played three games this season with Luis at, at, at the centre-back position and we've won three games. I don't think he's he's been anywhere near as bad as people make out in terms of his general level of play. But I actually think he's been pretty good. Um, and I think he'll continue to play really because of his experience. Also, I just think that in terms of what Sorry wants as a player, David Luiz ticks almost every box. Mm, hear, hear and amen to that. I mean, talking of Rudiger, by the way, we can't do this show without uh, mentioning Rudiger channeling his inner Alex and thumping a ball against the crossbar, which I think is still probably shaking now. I mean, the scenes of that had gone in. I mean, the whole the whole place where I was watching it were, were the, 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 the ooze were, were palpable. Uh, I like Rudiger. I thought he had a very good game. Um, listen, we're going to... Uh, I, I had actually scripted to talk about what our best back four might be, but there, there's definitely an email about it and another question that I found on Twitter. So we're going to save that for the emails. But uh, I just want to kind of sum up this part before we start talking about the Europa League, really. Uh, Liam, you know, as Joe said, three wins out of three. Uh, so good so far, really. But is there anything to be concerned about at all, do you think? Well, I think the defence is a, a huge question mark. And, mm. and Sarri has admitted that. He said he expects... Well, he said whenever he goes to a new club, he expects to have defensive problems for, for one or two months because of this, what he calls his, his kind of re-education of, of, of defenders, changing the way they think about the game. It doesn't happen overnight, particularly after a summer where you've had a World Cup and a compressed pre-season. So... In that respect, I mean, Chelsea are, are way ahead of schedule with maximum points from, from three games. Uh, they've they've obviously shown some real vulnerabilities against Arsenal. Um, shown vulnerabilities at times against Newcastle, probably slightly more than they should have done, given that Newcastle barely ventured out of their own half. Um, but, you know, you can't argue with nine points and, they, and they've scored a fair number of goals as well. And, and you look at the fixtures in the next few weeks... I mean, you've got Bournemouth at home, which obviously hasn't gone so well in, in, a couple of times in the last few years. But on paper, is a is a is a pretty is a game you'd want at this at this time of year. Um, Cardiff at home, I think Cardiff are the worst team in the league from what I've seen. And and then West Ham away, which, as we all know, is pretty much a neutral venue at this point, <laughs> given how much they hate the London Stadium. So. I think the next three games offer a chance for for Sarri and for Chelsea to build some real momentum now while they're still getting acclimatised to the to the system. And I think all eyes internally will be on that Liverpool game on September yeah, 29th. Definitely, um, that will be the big big test. And I think you know if they if they defend it the way they have at times in these first three games against Liverpool, it could get very very ugly. But they, they have time and they, at the moment they only have one game a week. So there is actually some training time for, for Sarri to work with these guys as well. And given the, the speedy progress they've made on the attacking side of the ball, um, I think there's reason to be optimistic that they can that they can make up similar ground defensively in the next few weeks. Indeed, you're right about that Liverpool game. I think that will, that will be the first kind of real test of, as to where we are with the whole Sarri ball wash my mouth out with soap uh with test really but anyway now uh liam uh very cl cleverly segued into i just want to have a quick chat really about the europa league because uh uh the draws coming up this friday um 
we are in it, obviously. Uh, they're all ranking it on coefficients this year. I was very disappointed to see that we, we have 82 coefficient points and Arsenal have 93. I don't like to be second to Arsenal in anything. Uh, but we're the second highest ranked team in it thus far, um, which is all, all very nice, of course. Um, but um, What does that mean, the first... What does that mean, I have no idea. It's It's kind of basically, from what I understand, it's based on your performances in Europe over the last five years so that the further into competitions you go the more coefficient points you get if you remember oh, there was a time when when Chelsea almost single-handedly were keeping uh, England's fourth Champions, Champions League, League spot alive because yeah. we were doing so well in Europe and everybody else was shit so uh, you know they're not to be sniffed at really I think the first question is um, Joe, Joe will love this I know because I know Joe and he, he would have studied this to the nth degree <laughs> I know bugger all about it, apart from some tweet that I stole. And I didn't even know the draw was coming up. Joe will know every team that we could possibly get. So the first question is, Joe, who do you fancy? Because it goes to a group stage first, doesn't it? So, I mean, I've, I've kind of picked, I suppose, my, my Scandinavian <laughs> picked players. picked I've, I've picked my ideal opponents. I live 15 minutes from FC Copenhagen's ground, so they would be my second, second team. Um, then we have Malmo, which is literally just over the bridge for me, about 40 minutes. So that would be my, my team in pot three. And then uh, Rosenborg, about an hour on the plane for me. So I would go for a completely kind of Nordic-based group so I can go to all the away games. Um, and that, that would be absolutely ideal for me. But there are some really interesting trips in there. Aside from that, I think prospect of, of drawing someone like Celtic would be really, really interesting. Um, Zagreb, you know, you've got some really, really nice trips. Leipzig, Spartak, etc. Zurich. I think there's some pretty nice games in there. And then that kind of last spot, I mean, there's a team called UFA who sound like a, a potentially a team that's been made up on on uh, some sort of computer game. But yeah, I mean, apart from those guys uh, and Jablonek also is a, is a team that I'm I'm quite interested to, to find out about. And also Video Ton. I don't know. That's obviously a completely butchered way of saying it. But I think the further you go down, the more and more uh, you kind of see teams that you're probably never, ever going to face ever again. But yeah, personal preference would be a completely kind of Scandinavian based um, group for us, but I, I think there's some really interesting ties potentially that we can we can face um, some some pretty decent teams in pots two and pot three. But I think pot four, you know, you'd be you'd be very very uh, disappointed if you couldn't beat a team that I can't pronounce, Aki Sashapur or something like that. So yeah, I think we've uh, yeah, I mean some interesting ties, but uh, I, I'm hoping for a, a Scandi one. I think you know at the end of the day. You know, that's what the Europa League's about. I mean, you know, Chelsea fans, I have to say, to their eternal credit, and, and unlike a lot of other supporters, don't have a have a bad a bad issue with the Europa League at all. I think a lot of them see it as a... Well, the ones that go to matches, obviously, but they see it as a, as a really good chance to go to somewhere they've not been before, have yeah. an absolute booze up and really enjoy it. And and there are a few there are a few eye catchers on there. The couple of Czechoslovak or the, the couple of Czech teams, should I say, that are in there. But they're also later on. I mean, there's there are some decent teams in this still. Villa, Villarreal, Anderlecht, Bayer Leverkusen, Lazio, Marseille, AC Milan, Eintracht Frankfurt. I think a tie against Eintracht Frankfurt would be wonderful, Jonathan, wouldn't it? I've got a, a, a mate who supports Eintracht Frankfurt, but I always think of that seven three European Cup match in the sixties. That uh, you know, and Madrid with Real, Real Madrid, yeah, up and scored yeah. yeah. four, didn't he? Yeah, uh, Real Betis are in there. I you know good memories of, of being. Yeah, I've before. been there. I've been there. Yeah, so I think we know, should draw. Couple... We should draw every team with a K in their name. 
Okay, good why fun, is that? Wouldn't it? I don't know, just cause the hell of it. I don't know. Or every team would begin with an O at the end. And you've got the why Malmo. Why Something, yeah. Because uh, they're all interesting places. They're all, they're all, I think that point about them, people would love to go to teams that they never never even knew they had teams in this place. You know, so you could play Jablonek and, and I've heard of Videoton, but Voskla, uh, uh, you know, and... Uh, um, I don't even know what countries these places are in. I think it's no. fantastic. Indeed. Um, Liam, you know, apart from everything else, and, and, and judging by the way that Sarri likes to play the same team week in, week out, and he's got to get his noodle around the fact that he probably can't if he wants to play in the Europa League, it does look like it's a very good opportunity for uh, you know the rest of the squad and, dare I say it, some of the youth players to get a game. Um, if that's the case, who do you, who do you see playing in the Europa League games? Well, I think it could be as many as 11 changes. I think it could be a, a completely different team. Maybe maybe Kepper would keep his place. Um, but, uh, you know, Sarri wasn't shy of um, binning off European competition last year when, when Napoli were, were in, involved in that historic Serie A title race. So he, he's shown he's willing to do it. I think the pressure will be on from Chelsea very much as a club to, to prioritise getting back in the top four this year. That's absolutely vital for them the bare minimum from this season so I think it could be it could be a totally different team and and for all those on Chelsea Twitter that have been clamoring ever since well pre-season and way before to see more of Callum Hudson-Odoi I think you know this could be the stage for him particularly in the group stage uh, depending depending on who Chelsea's opponents turn out to be I think he could have some some really good opportunities and, and, and uh, the return of Fabregas of course Yes, yes. Well, I saw him actually as I was leaving on Friday for the press conference. I think he was going out to do some work on his own. So I'm not sure he's training with the group yet. But yeah, by the time these games roll around, I'm sure he'll be fine and ready to remind us all that he still exists. I'd be I'd be intrigued by the possibility of uh, Chelsea drawing Milan in the group stage because of the the Timu Bakayoko revenge game that could uh, that could transpire. Of course, he 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 can play against them because it's UEFA competition. So. That would be a, a very interesting one to, to witness. Gattuso made these dreadful remarks about him at the weekend, though. Yeah, it hasn't started uh, well for him. It hasn't. Making comments. Apparently he has somebody... defects. Yes. He has, yes, he has defects. <laughs> well, he, said he, has to learn, he, he said he has to learn about basic things like trapping a football, which is not a... Yeah. Well, I think Walking, we, maybe? To be basic fair, things like, we, we basic did things experience like, that, yes. Basic, basic things like walking and maybe running. You know. I, I feel really sorry for Bakayoko because I do think there is a I do think there is a player in there yeah, that, that people saw at Monaco. I think he's been a, a huge a victim of circumstance as much as anything else in one season at Chelsea. I did actually think that he was showing flashes towards the end of last year that he could be decent, but then you know you change the coach and he's and he's not a fit for Sarri. So that that's the way it goes. And now you know you've had to offload him to. To a team like Milan, because there weren't really a ton of suitors for him, and I don't think it's guaranteed at all. Even before Gattuso came out and said what he said, I didn't think it was guaranteed at all that Milan would exercise that option. I, I think he'll be back at, at Chelsea next summer, and 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 this could drag on for him and for the club. Mm. Like, Maybe like, minus um, his defects, like Marin. It'll be like Marin forever, forever attached to the club. Who was the other player who was forever attached to us? And uh, we couldn't get rid of. Not Bahada, I don't mean not Bogard. 
Um, no idea. There was another no another loney who just kept going with us. And just Matt Ted just well, collapsed the goalkeeper. Yes, <laughs> yeah, him probably. Yes. The, pro- the right, problem chaps, is we, neither we... of those cost forty million. That's the problem. <laughs> no, that's exactly. true. That's true. Chaps, we need to go to a break because we're way over budget at the moment. Um, but I, before we do, I just want to say, you know, a massive well done. Not that I, I often say this, but a massive well done to Chelsea Football Club for charging the Europa League tickets at 20 quid uh, and then 30 quid from the quarterfinals onwards, which is uh, a very sensible pricing policy, I think, because... Number one, they're not stupid, and I don't think they would have sold out, really, if they'd have been stupidly priced like the Champions League games are. But nevertheless, the residual benefit of that goes on to uh, supporters who perhaps don't uh, you know, don't have the money to go and see Chelsea week in, week out, or, or don't get the chance to. So, fair play for only charging 20 quid for the Europa League games. It's uh, much appreciated. Now, uh, coming up in part three, we've got emails from Jonathan to read out on Marcus Alonso, who's che- who Chelsea's back for should be. Foreign opposition to Premier League games being played abroad. If I ask Dan Lundberg nicely if I can read his email out, because I'm not entirely sure he meant for me to do that. He's in the house, so he might tell me. Um, and of course, uh, if we get a bit of time after that, which possibly not, I would say, we will try and get some questions from the Mixler listeners as well. See you in a sec. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. I'm Sam Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast on a Tuesday night tonight. Uh, and uh, we're kind of at half time, and we've got uh, 
emails coming up, Jonathan. The first one from the lovely Alan Gavaran, who is in the house tonight, I believe. He's there. Oh, he signed my hello, broken Alan. leg. I love it. You used to say hi, Chidge and the gang. He now goes, guys. Thank you, Alan. Guys. Guys. I was very pleased to hear Marcus Alonso getting lots of love on last week's show. God knows he deserves it. But I cannot for the life of me understand why he has so many haters. I'm sure that some are juvenile keyboard warriors or 128-second ranters. But other more esteemed members of the Chelsea Twitterati seem to also have it in for him. His contribution to Chelsea since he arrived two years ago has been exceptional and all from someone completely unheralded and, if we're honest, from a player virtually unknown to most of us when he was purchased on the last day of the transfer window. Clearly, Conte knew a thing or two about Alonso from his Fiorentina days and saw him as a key player for his system, even before the famous back three was actually implemented. I don't want to rehearse the criticisms thrown at Marcos, not least because I don't buy into the majority of them, but I want to go way out on a limb and propose an alternative role for him. What does Alonso bring to our team? Great athleticism, if not blistering pace. Driving, running with the ball, think Tottenham away last season. Invaluable goal scoring through shooting and free kicks. And his ability to ghost into the box without being picked up, all coupled with a terrific attitude. Absolutely agree. Who else could we say exactly the same things about? The legendary Frank Lampard, of course. So tell me, why can't we reinvent Marcos as our new Frank Lampard? The type of player we've been missing more than any other since he retired. I'm not saying Marcus could be the new Lampard straight out of the box. His tackling would need to improve to play in midfield. But he has many of the attributes and is clearly a very intelligent and talented footballer with a great personal pedigree. His grandfather played for Real Madrid and his father played for Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. Even if you all agree that my proposal is totally brilliant, it unfortunately raises other different problems, <laughs> which you touched on indirectly last week. Where does a new Alonso version of Lampard fit into the Surrey 4-3-3 system? How could we accommodate him when we have an emerging fantastic midfield of Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic? Fortunately, it's Sarri rather than me who has paid mega bucks to solve these sort of problems. But in Marcus Alonso, we have an exceptional footballer who could clearly play a number of wonderful roles for Chelsea, including possibly this new Lampard-style role. As is already clear with swirling rumours about Real Madrid wanting him, with Marcos, it's a case of use him or lose him. Fortunately, I believe there are lots of ways to use Marcos with considerable positive effect for the team. Alan Gavarin at Rootless Cosmo, Aussie sign my broken leg. Yes, we've discussed this, haven't we? And uh, agree completely with you, Alan. I think uh, it's lovely to hear such so many positive remarks about him in a seemingly, as you say, a world of hatred, which I don't get at all, as we've just been discussing. So, but um, Joe, oh, we should ask Joe if he where he would if he concurs with that, and, and where and how we could fit him into that four three three along the lines that Alan suggests. I mean, I do genuinely think it would be quite interesting to see him play as a as a winger on the right hand side, and you know, I don't think he has the you know the, the pace to play there. But if we're talking about the player who can cut inside and shoot on his left foot, I don't think that there are many better players in, in maybe in the Premier League who've got that that ability than Alonso. I think that's potentially an option with him. Um, I mean, maybe you you know if you're if you're going super attacking, you could look at him in that kind of left central midfield role. Um, I don't think at the moment, particularly with Kovacic and Kante, while they, they, they're very neat and tidy, I think we saw against Newcastle, there, there's a little bit of a, a lacking of a bit of cut and thrust, I think, for midfield, particularly Jorginho sits in 
I would expect a bit more drive and a bit more, maybe a little bit more creativity, a little bit more go forward from from Kante or or Kovacic. And I think Alonso potentially, you know, if you if you slotted him in there, obviously a natural left footer as well. You know, and, and I think he, he's got the ability to shoot from distance, which I think again is something that we lack a bit in midfield. So, you know, if you're getting creative, you know, you could definitely suggest that he could play probably on the on the wing, probably in midfield. I mean, it, it wouldn't be so far fetched to say that he could probably play as a centre forward. I mean, his his movement to score against uh, Arsenal, you know, was was better than than most centre forwards we've had at Chelsea for a, for a while. You know, the ability to cut across the the defenders and, and pinch in and, and, and make that tidy finish and his ability to sort of find space and always be in the right place and right time in the penalty boxes is something that you, you would associate with players like Diego Costa who just had that knack of, of being in the right place to, to apply the right finish and you know again it's not hugely far-fetched if, if we you know kind of errata continues to be a little bit hit and miss a little bit underwhelming that, that Alonso maybe could, could end up as the as the answer up front but I, I do think that there has to be a position for him in the team I think after after Hazard, um, he, he appears to be the most sort of creative or the most sort of dangerous player that we have. So you want to maximise his opportunities as much as possible and, and maybe pushing him slightly further forward does does a good job there. But I think at the moment, that sort of unorthodox kind of threat that he poses from left back where he, he cuts inside, he's in the penalty area quite a bit. I don't think teams have really figured out how to deal with him yet. So I, I would continue pushing him forward in that area. Excellent stuff. Um Jonathan, can yes. I, I suggest we re- read Emilio's email out, and then I, I'll read the tweet out that I had from uh, Ryan Thomas, and then we can do the whole who should be in the defensive back four, you know, in, in response to both of them at the same time. Do you of see course, I mean? yes, absolutely. Uh, email to Emilio Harath. Dear Chidge, Jonathan and company, firstly, I have to say how much I'm enjoying the Love Sport radio shows on Fridays. Oh, good. I'm not always able to listen live, but always make sure to listen before every Chelsea match. Always unbelievably funny. Quick question for you all after watching Sunday's game. Who do you think is our best back four for Sarri's system? Dave is clearly our best defender, but for me doesn't overlap or create enough down the right side. Very true. Morata had next to no service, although I'm not confident he would have scored if he had any. I like Alonso and Rudiger where they are, but after that I'm lost. Perhaps Asby should move centrally to bring in Zappa or Moses on the right. Maybe just against teams who play that deep in their own half. What are your thoughts? Great show, uh, great shows as always, and up the Chelsea. Cheers from Vancouver, Emilio. I wonder if that's Emilio Estevez in Mixler. It could well be. Uh, do confirm or deny, Emilio. Right, uh, Ryan Thomas uh, tweeted us earlier on, and he said, Hi guys, love your podcast. Do you think we are still very weak at fullback going both ways? Uh, you see Liverpool and City's fullbacks, they're quick and good going both ways, which is why they don't concede as many goals. Uh, I don't see our fullbacks giving good sharp delivery. Uh, Aspie is always way too deep and Alonso has not got great delivery. We still have time to rectify this, but if Alonso does not score, I do not think he offers anything at all apart from set pieces and height. I'd like to see what Emerson can offer because he has pace and he can deliver. I think we, we answered the Emerson bit of that earlier. So let's kind of conflate all of this with who is, in our opinion, Chelsea's best back four. Go, Liam. Well, I think uh, I think it's the back four that are currently playing. Um, I understand the Emerson argument, but Sarri sees him every day in training and he didn't really use him much in pre-season either. So there must be something lacking in his game that maybe we haven't seen, partly because he just hasn't played an awful lot of football. Um, as Filiqueta has proven, he can be a, a centre-back, but I'm not sure he can be as part of a two. He, w- he would be targeted by 
a lot of big strikers in the Premier League and a lot of managers that play uh, a physical aerial style style of football. He was already targeting the back three in a in in a two man defence. That would be even worse. If you could combine Alonso and Aspilicueta into one player, I think you'd have the best fullback in the world. Um, <laughs> Aspilicueta's defensive instincts and Alonso's ability to impact the final third, but. Yeah, I, I don't think Sarri has perfect options for the way he wants to play, but I think he's probably picked the best combination that he has right now. What about you, Joe? I'd, I'd agree with Liam. I think, uh, you know, you have... I think for, for me personally, the, the fullback issue is is more kind of a, a question of sort of a combination of players ahead of them. I think when you have Azpilicueta, very sort of defensive-minded, very strong fullback, I think his kind of deficiencies going forward are exacerbated by the fact that he's playing with Kante and, and Pedro. Pedro is, is more of a case of, of, I think Liam mentioned earlier, making that kind of out-to-in run. He wants to get in and finish things. He's not necessarily going to hug the touchline and give Aspelicueta an option to play. I think we're seeing a little bit, uh, particularly against Newcastle with Kante, that yes, he, he was getting some good positions, but I, I don't think he's very effective in the final third. And you know, It's not a slight on him to say that that's not his game. I think he's... He's probably the, the best midfielder without the ball in the world. But I think if you're placing a, a kind of an onus on him to be an attacking threat from midfield with the ball, him plus Aspilicueta is your kind of main sort of, I suppose, gateways to, to, to attack on the right-hand side. Doesn't inspire me in terms of their, their ability to, to attack consistently. And I think, again, you know, what you see, particularly on the right-hand side, it's, which is different, obviously, with Hazard and Alonso, is that a lot of the time it's very safe passing. The ball comes backwards a lot. It comes in field a lot rather than seeing someone attack the touchline, rather than seeing someone trying to attack the space in behind the fullback and, and in between the centre-backs. So we can you can look at the, the fullbacks as much as you want, but I do think that potentially there, there is room to have a little bit more freedom, in, in particularly on the right-hand side. If Aspelicueta is playing, you could probably cheat and play someone who's a little bit more attack-minded in, in that centre-midfield role, just to give a, a little bit more of a balance to the team, because I, I do think that right-hand side is, is very defensive by nature, and I think that that does exacerbate the, the issue that we're seeing a little bit on the right-hand side, um, not being anywhere near as creative as the left. So, so would you stick with, with, with like oh, Liam? Would yeah, exactly, you stick exactly with the back exactly. four? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that there's much uh, contention really, and, unless, as I said, Christensen comes into uh, the Europa League team or cup team and and plays out with skin. I don't really see there being an argument for either fullback to be dropped. And to be honest, the way the way Rudig is playing, I think he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet. So it's David Luiz is probably the. The player at the moment who is at risk, but even then, I don't think particularly there's there's much of a challenge coming from from Christensen or Cahill or, or anyone else who can potentially fill that. Ampadu, I like him, but I, I don't think at the moment, particularly given his age, um, I don't think yeah. he's, he's quite ready to play week in week out. I mean, I think again, if you put him in a, a game next to Louise or next to Rudiger, I think he'd do very well. But you know, it's a it's a big difference to ask him to step in and play every week. Although I, I would say in pre season he was probably one of our most impressive players. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the, the, the main thing that I've, I've learned from talking to, to, to younger Chelsea players is that the gap between, you know, pre-season and, and dipping in and out of the team is, is a lot different when you're asked to kind of start week in, week out and be dependent on by the manager. So I think, I think Ampadu can get there. I think he, he's exceptionally talented. But, you know, I think we still have to remember that he's, what, 17 years old. So he's got a lot of time on his side as well. Mm. Good to see that you're debunking the play the youth tag that you've been given on Twitter, Joe. You know, I always, yeah. I always knew you were sensible. You know, I, I used to sit next to you at the games, mate. I know how sensible you are. I mean, my my contention. I think this is where people get me wrong. Is that it's 
it's when you've got players like Bakayoko who get played week after yes, week after week. Absolutely. Terrible. And then someone like Loftus-Cheek will get five-minute cameo, not really do much, yeah. and then he's gone for the next six weeks. That kind of yeah. disparity between players you buy and the younger players coming through. Yeah. If, it, if it was equal, I, w- I wouldn't really care. You know, the best player plays. But I don't think that academy players, given all the, the investment in time and, and, and money you put into them to kind of bring them to a certain level, I just don't think that they're, they're treated kind of in equal terms as, as first-team players. And, you know, I mean, the fact that Bakayoko, I think, played more football for Chelsea than Loftus-Cheek did in four seasons kind of, to me, suggests that, that there has to be some kind of foul policy there. I understand that people yeah. have to justify the investment in the player and that, that that's the reason they get played. But you can't, seriously, even if you're not a huge fan of young players... Tell does me the that... manager, Joe, does the manager pick him, do you think? Because he was Conte's choice. Yeah, I mean, I got, think that, that... And that he's, he's, he's having to justify his choice... Yeah. to say, no, I'm going to pick him regardless. Yeah. Because it was apparent to to uh, all of us uh, after a few games that he was just he was absolutely, yeah. stri- completely struggling. And we were very sympathetic, but it was it's that thing you have when the new player comes in. You always think, you always want them to do well. Exactly. And you're yeah. always on their side and you want them and you think they'll come good this week. And it became very obvious that I think as yeah. the, the Midland manager is finding that there were some very basic issues he was having, which yeah. uh, which meant he couldn't seem to tackle without fouling anybody. He seemed yeah. to think there was a way of doing it, whether he got away with that in France, of uh, leap stretching across. It was a kind of a touch of Kante and a touch of Makaleli. But unfortunately, when you're as big as he is and you seem yeah. to push, push the player down, it's a foul every time. And yeah. uh and I think his confidence went completely. But uh, but I, I, I felt for Loftus-Cheek last year. I mean, I haven't been a great fan of him. A few times he's come on, I felt that he could have done more. But last year was an absolute perfect opportunity for him uh, before he got... Um, uh, um, well, he was on loan, of course, wasn't he? But he would have been... It would have been... Uh, it, him playing last year would have, I think, cemented his position in the team. It's such a shame that they, they chose Bakayoko. Um, and uh, I, I'm not even convinced. I had I've got a, a couple of, of friends in Monaco who were actually telling me you've made a big error signing him because he's heavily supported by the other players around him, and he's been a bit of a passenger. And so uh, I think he was bought purely on the uh, um, the success of the team at the time, rather than actually looking at what he really did properly. So. Uh, Anyway, yes. So, Jake, JK, who's your back four, mate? Um, as is, the same as everybody said. As is. My, my complaint yeah. would be, though, that, um, as, as Joe was saying, um, uh, I think Liam said as well, the, that um, uh, Dave is, is a, an unbelievable defender, but he isn't terribly good coming forwards. And I think I mentioned this last week. You just worry, worry whether, in fact, that fits in with the way that Sarri wants to play. Um, ultimately, whether uh, a player like Moses, who is a, has become a better defender, but actually can attack a bit more, is something that fits in the system, um, or whether he can make um, Dave uh, a better crosser of the ball, because that's always been his problem. He's never been quite as good a crosser, except at the beginning of last season when he seemed to pick out Morata every time. Um, but um, uh, And weirdly enough, to me, uh, in the in the pre-season, I know it was a bit early, Zappa Costa who I'm not a big fan of, I don't think is so good enough to play for Chelsea, seem to once again fit in with the ability to get forward. and uh, But he's not very good defensively. Um, so I would keep the team, but I'd be very intrigued to see. Um, and I, I agree completely. I think he'll make a... I think he'll change all 11 players other than the goalkeeper for some of the Europa League ties. 
Um, it'd be interesting to see if anybody excels and is then, uh, and then that transfer transfers itself to um, confidence in training and whether they then become um, uh, possibilities for the first team in the league. Um, but at the moment, it's uh, it, 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 as we've said, as Joe said, all about Christensen as well. He's not. He's, 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 he needs to bulk up a bit. He's not as physical. And I'm a great fan of Louise. I think Louise is a wonderful player. Um, and, uh, and, and just a left back, I just think Emerson, Emerson hasn't, to me, he's a decent defender, but I haven't seen him. He's nowhere near as good coming forwards, um, I think, for the few times we've seen him. But I think he's a very solid player. But I think it, it's the, 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 the extra quality that Alonso brings as we've said, gets him selected every week because he is a really special player for me. So, uh, uh, yeah, we keep it as it is. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I'm with you guys. I think that Sarri's picked the best back four that he has available. Um, you know, I, I, I take uh, Ryan's point particularly about uh, the difference between Alonso and Aspilicueta and, and perhaps Liverpool's uh, full-backs who are very much of the modern breed, very young and pacey, get up and down the pitch quickly, good you know, good with both feet and all the rest of it. But, you know, we're not playing fantasy football. You know, we've got what we've got, we, we, and we, we don't have any other options going forward. And, and we've, we've said it, all of us have said the same thing about Emerson, uh, you know, and obviously Sarri sees them on in training more than we do, and one I would trust Sarri's judgment on that. I, I would also take issue with Aspie. I think he's a super defender, but I think, you know, his assists for Morata, I mean, he had one of the best assists record in the league, I think. So, you know, we know that he can do it. Um, and I think, you know, Joe's point as well about the fact that it will take time for the defence to adjust to Sarri's methods, and I think we need to be cognizant of that but I think you know out of our defenders that we've got in the squad I think he's picked the right ones and let's just uh, have a bit of faith in Sarri and, and see where it goes I mean you know if it does all go Pete Tong and Pear Shade there's also a January and, a, and another summer transfer window but uh, I like the defenders that we've got and I think they do a decent job so there you go I'm being supportive very unlike me goodness me uh, on that happy and positive note JK we've got a great email from the wonderful Dan Lundberg who gets a mention in this show every week as you all know this one's only to you Chidge so you're the only one who can listen to this uh, Chidge it says this is Dan Lundberg brackets D Lundberg underscore close brackets full stop once again, thanks for uploading the CST meetings to the fancast. It's so helpful to be able to listen to these important topics, especially as an overseas supporter. Although our support here in the US has helped the club, I feel we could be part of the demise if there's a 39th game abroad in one form or another. I've already been in contact with Dan in regards to the issue. There are a lot of people in the US in favour of these, but I, as well as many of my close Chelsea and America friends, are strongly opposed to the idea. We are discussing ideas of ways to show the CST and ultimately the Premier League that it would be an insult to the history, traditions and fans that created the environment of the game we all love. Hopefully Dan will be able to relay our concerns to you and the CST. Thanks again for all you do for fans in the UK and abroad. Dan Lundberg. 
Yes, fabulous, fabulous emails. As I said, Dan, I wasn't sure if you kind of just sent that to me or if you intended me to read it out, but I kind of took an executive decision because I thought it was so brilliantly put and I agree with it so completely and comprehensively that I felt duty-bound to share it with the millions that listen to the Sorry, the tens that listen to this show. Um, and, and uh, you know, as I said, okay, my mum. Uh, anyway, the I, 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 yes, you know, us, us four and my mum. But the bottom line is it's a brilliant email, Dan, and... You know, we are, I said at the, the, the Trust AGM, I, I think that this is the single biggest threat to the game that I grew up with and love. And if you, you know, you, you get the same feeling out of watching the game that I do, then you will agree. I also accept that there are people newer to the game who don't give a tinker's tit about the, uh, the, the, the traditions and the culture of the game. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm just going to disagree with you utterly and i will do everything in my power to to try and make sure that this never happens and on that point um we'll there will be um a meeting i think in october with the premier league which the trusts all the trusts uh so the chelsea sports trust Arsenal trust all of those guys uh, in the premier league will be going to and we will make uh our concerns and opposition to this very strongly known to them and Tim Rolls did a wonderful kind of mini survey via Twitter, and he's he's collated all of that. And when we meet with the club, we're meeting with Chelsea uh, sometime in the next month or two uh, to show them our survey and stuff. We will take that to them as well and make sure that they're very well aware of how... I mean, the interesting thing is is, is the strength of feeling against this idea, both in the UK, unsurprisingly, but also from abroad. You know, there's a lot of people around the world, the States, Australia, you name it, who also, you know, don't want to see uh, the game being taken out of where it belongs. So there you go. So, Dan, well done. Keep the faith, mate. And uh, well, other than saying well done to me, well done to your superb work for doing everything you do out in the States for the American supporters there. So fair play. Right, JK. Uh, Tim O'Donnell. Chidge on the telly. This is the football show on NBC. Was hoping they'd interview the legend himself, but I'll take it. And there's a picture of you in your cap and Tim Rolls. Tim Rolls always looks rather handsome and like a, 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 an ageing film star whenever there's a picture of him anywhere. I suppose it's because he takes his glasses off. But there you are together. And um, uh, a lovely pic. It's a shame that nobody on... Uh, Mixler can see it. It's Chidge in his hat. No. And, uh, I'll, I'll and put... t- Tim with his arm around him. And they're in the Chelsea changing room at, uh, at the bridge. Mm. And it's a, it's a nice pick. You should put Thank it up. You, you're, going to put it, you're going to put it up, Chidge. Yeah, put it up I'll, I'll the... tweet it up. I'll tweet it up for the for the peeps to have a look. It has it has been tweeted out. I might have retweeted it, but I'll ask to get... I completely forgot about this. Tim and I were interviewed uh, when it was very sunny. must have been the beginning of the summer. And we were interviewed by the wonderful Joe Scarborough. Uh, who I've you know occasionally caught a bit of his stuff. Uh, he he does a lot of the political shows out in the states, but he was doing the NBC Sports show, and it was before the Liverpool game, in fact. So it was still when the season was going on. And um, yeah, I forgot we'd done it. Uh, I mean, I just got somebody stuck the picture up on Twitter. A few people had seen it, but apparently they didn't show any of our interviews. So uh, clearly, I waffled on too much as I do, and and they just cut us out. But hey, who well, knows? Completely Maybe we'll, ridiculous. Why get you involved bizarre, in that and then not to show the interview? Absolutely. Mindless. Don't get it. Never mind. I know. I know. I, I've, I've complained to my agent. That would be you, Jonathan. Oh, blast. I forgot I did that. Yeah, OK. And yeah. Bob Bob Uzray says he's a Liverpool fan. That's Joe Scarborough. 
but I wouldn't hold it against him. Yeah, we, we gave him a really hard time about that. Maybe that's why they cut us out of the interview, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it's all becoming clear now. Uh, listen, guys. Um, ooh, executive decisions. I'm going to... Okay, look, there's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you one question, all right, guys? I'm going to pick it out at random. Uh, okay, uh, let me have a look. Oh, okay, this is a good one from from Chris Bird, I think. We'll just choose Chris Bird. I want everyone's preferred 11. Well, Chidge and the guys, not everyone in Mixler. That's a good point. What's your preferred 11, Jonathan? Very quickly, and then we'll move on what, to part f- four. From the team at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of extending the back four argument. We've all done the back four. So let's 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 um, you know we let's Kante, all assume that all four of us want Kepper in the back four. So just go midfield and attack. Jorginho, Kovacic, um, uh, um, um, who am I missing? Kante. Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante. It's the it's the I would play um, uh, William instead of Pedro. Uh, I think that's my one. Otherwise, I'd keep it with uh, and I'd play Giroud. I think from the beginning. Um, much it depends on the team you're playing against, as we said earlier. I think uh, against Bournemouth, I'd play Morata um, because they won't uh, defend as much. They'll be attacking, yes. Yeah, so I'd play Morata, Hazard uh, and Willian. Joe? Um, I'd go with uh, Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic. I'd go Hazard, Giroud. And to get a youth player in there, I'd give Hudson-Odoi a go on the right-hand side. Well, good idea, good uh, move, good call. Yeah, like that. Liam? Uh, I'd go with the team that started against Newcastle. I think that's the. I think that will prove to be Sarri's preferred eleven this season. I think Ko- Kovacic adds a really nice, uh, slightly more creative, progressive element to the midfield and, and Hazard is Hazard. So I, I do prefer Pedro to Willian generally just because he brings more of a goal threat and I think he's the best finisher in the entire squad. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, mm. yeah. Kovacic is a real I, find, isn't he? I think he's uh, he's because uh, he, he's he's also quite he's firm in the tackle as well. He's he's a unit actually. It's um it's a very impressive um, buy. He obviously had his eye on him, didn't he, Sarri? Not buy. I mean, a, it's a loan, isn't it? But it's a it was a it's a he's, he's very good for the team. I think. Right. Um. Actually, I'm inclined to agree with Liam uh, a little bit. Um. But I, I I'm also inclined to. Uh, you know, play Giroud and not uh, and not uh, Morata. But I do take Jonathan's point. Actually, I think it's horses for courses at the moment. I think if we're playing teams that give us and allow us space, I think uh, Morata is good to exploit that. Whereas I think Giroud's probably more useful against the more stubborn park the bus type sides. Um, and I agree with Liam about Pedro. I, I, I love William. I really do. Um, but I think that uh, technically Pedro's the best finisher we've got. Actually, so. It's, I think the interesting thing is, is that I, I, one thing I would say is that we have options this year. I feel that we have options, whereas I didn't really feel we had them last year. We had a lot of square pegs in round holes and a lot of basically second-rate players getting starts or players that were past it. Fabregas, I'm pointing my finger at you. So, you know, I think that this year it's good. I mean, you know, even in the defence, we've got younger options, I admit. Uh, you know, I think uh, midfield is good. We've got Barkley and Loftus-Cheek sticking around. And I think up front, you know, William on the sidelines. You've got Callum Hudson-Odoi. It's good. Have faith, people. It's good. Right now, talking of uh, faith, thank you for the faith that you show in us by sending us your emails every week. 
Uh, we we love ringing them out, as you know, and, and, and given a bit of time. I've shoved it up a slot because I felt that they needed a bit of prominence and we can get a bit of a debate going about stuff, which I think works much better than it did before. So send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com. Do it before a Monday, and uh, if you do that, they'll, you've got a good chance to get it read out. Now, in part four, we've got the usual roundup of supporter news. Uh, but more importantly, we've got to look ahead, uh, look ahead, a look back at the Sunday Times story that Chelsea is for sale, and we're going to ask, what does it all mean? Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you are listening to the Chelsea Fancast on the home straight. Now, we're going to kick this off. I've uh, got my usual parish notices, as Uncle Tony would have it, uh, coming up later. But uh, for the minute, uh, I think we need to concentrate on this. Now, the boys have all had a chance to read the Sunday Times article. Uh, annoyingly, they put it behind a paywall, so you have to bloody buy the newspaper. It's very un-2018, if you ask me, but there you go. So hopefully the boys have all read it, as have I. Um, I, I have to be honest, um, when I read it, chaps, I, I kind of felt, well, they're not actually really saying anything. And then, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what Liam's take on this as a journalist, but I kind of felt that they were trying to make a story out of really very little. And then at the end of, the, end of it, they qualified saying, it. well, actually, you know, we've talked to the club and they said it's not for sale anyway, but we thought we'd make a story because it sounds good and it'd get you to buy the newspaper, which kind of worked. <laughs> so I, I think in a sense, I, I kind of look at it as a bit of mischief making. And really, you know, it's as simple as that. But one also has to beg the question, you know, is there no smoke without fire at the end of the day? Everybody has a price. It's not the first time we've heard these rumours kicking about. Um, so I'm going to ask, I'm going to kick it off with Liam first with his journalistic angle on it. And I know that he's also, uh, I, I would imagine, Liam, you talk to sources at the club on it in a off-the-record capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when something that big comes out, you, you, you straight away start making calls. And I mean, the response that everyone got was that Abramovich is as committed as ever and has no intention of walking away, which you can read several ways. I mean, you can take it literally as, you know, you, you could have done when the Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, rumours surfaced earlier this year, or you can take it as, you know, what else can they say really? They're not going to come out and say, the club is for sale or, or that Abramovich is looking into opportunities because aside from anything else that harms his negotiating position. Um, I've not found anything concrete to say that Abramovich is actively exploring a sale, but they do have this supposedly long-standing relationship with uh, the rain group. And, um, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if Abramovich was at least, you know, maybe taking stock, maybe uh, exploring possible avenues. I mean, the 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 price that's been banded around of two point five billion—that is, that's a lot of money, even for a guy like Abramovich. That's not pocket change. So, it depends at this stage what his priorities are and what um, what his preferences are, and we never know those those because he never talks. Um, haven't Liam? Haven't they been consulting Rain anyway? Because he they was said they wanted an investor for the, uh, the the build of the club, the construction of the new stadium. I thought yeah. that was the reason Rain had initially been involved. So Yeah, uh, I mean they they, they were certainly it's not it's not new it's not new news that 
No, no, not in itself. And they, I mean, they have been looking into um, private investment for that for that project, and they and they were also actively exploring naming rights deals for the stadium, which obviously proved to be way premature, given that they've they've now called a halt to the entire thing. Um, but I mean, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting story. I think the the most interesting thing about it is that unlike the Ratcliffe. Uh, noises that emerged a few months ago the angle of this is not a bid coming in and Chelsea rejecting it it's Chelsea actually proactively um, putting feelers out because you know there, there are only so many people and so many groups that are rich enough to be in this kind of conversation for a, for a financial transaction of this size so you do need to uh, to put the noises out in the right circles if you want to make something like this happen. So it's an interesting story in that sense. As I said, um, there's been nothing solid um, to suggest that Abramovich is is looking at walking away. And if you ask the club, you will you will get a fairly definitive um, no. In that he he is he is very much committed. Although their their position is also that they're not going to issue a statement every time something like this comes out because they're not in the practice of issuing denials of stories, you know, just every single time something comes out they don't agree with. But what, Liam, what about a non-denial denial? <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, you, I think, you know, the, the response that everyone got was, uh, was probably sufficient in their eyes that it was made clear in no uncertain terms, even without quotes, even without something that people could latch onto on the club website, that... They're, they laid out their position fairly clearly that they don't they don't see Abramovich going going away. But obviously, with the um, with the wider political context and everything that's happened, I mean, it, as I said, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if Abramovich was considering his options because this is this is not the most comfortable stretch of time he's had as Chelsea owner. Mm. Jonathan, you were about to pipe up with something. I got the feeling. Uh, I was. I'm just asking whether. Um... Uh, Liam had heard about the uh, the rumour that um, Earl's Court had fallen through for being uh, uh, um, uh, um, just constructing new homes and was fact now uh, in fact now available as a as a possible project. Um, has that uh, reared its head in, in in your world? As in a possible stadium project? Yes. Yes. Um, no, I haven't. A re- actually... The revisit a revisit of it right okay yeah no i haven't really been paying attention to that to that project um i'll certainly look into it now but uh, no i hadn't uh heard well, it, it, like it was that. a twitter rumor that just occurred right. and i just wondered whether i haven't looked into it myself whether well i mean they, they said that it had fallen through and uh, and there wasn't the funding for for the earl's court that they thought there had been and right. so that possibly earl's court was a um or was once again on the table for if chelsea wanted to be involved well, Which my would, initial would solve several pro- several problems, yeah. particularly the the uh, relocating for four years, which appeared to be a major stumbling block, as far as I could could ascertain. Sure, I mean it does it does potentially save that problem, although it does create others. I mean they've still got to they've still got to negotiate with the CPO over yeah. get, getting planning permission as well. It would would re- exactly yeah, yeah you've got to yeah. go through that entire process, and they've already poured significant money into the Stanford Bridge redevelopment project, which is why calling a halt to that was was such a surprise when it happened. Um, so that, yeah, that that's interesting. If that's a possibility, I'll, I'll have to look into it. 
Um, listen, guys, I, I, I want to bring Joe in if I can, because, you know, uh, unbeknownst to many, Joe, Joe, you know, knows a fair bit about finance. Um, and it's not inconceivable to me. And I think reading between a few of the lines that were, were written, and this is something that I've kind of been vaguely aware of and and uh, kind of put two and two together and added five. It's not inconceivable that um, a lot of the, you know, work that they're being doing with the rain group is, in fact, a you know, seek investment possibly for the stadium redevelopment. And and on that point, I, I you know, I, I, I'm led to believe that, you know, the stadium redevelopment will will actually happen. It's not a question of if, it's it's just a question of when. And there are a few things that are going on that are holding it up, uh, not least the investment climate at the time and the uncertainty with Brexit, but it's going to happen. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, so it's not inconceivable, Joe, that they're working with the Rain Group to kind of seek investment for the for you know what's going to you know stadium redevelopment's going to cost in the region of a billion quid. That's not like daft by any means. And I, I heard ages ago they were looking at a deal with the Chinese, which is why they were so pissed off that uh, uh, Kennedy decided to do a Monty Python number on the Chinese. So you know, it, it, it's kind of was, does that make sense to you that yeah. this is actually what really might be happening rather than they're actually actively looking for a buyer? So I mean, that, that would be my personal take and, and knowing the rain group quite intimately, they're people that banks I've worked in previously. We've, we've run uh, joint books on. So as uh, acting as a book runner in terms of uh, issuing new equity or debt on behalf of companies, they're pretty well renowned for, for their ability to, to act as a coordinator in terms of drumming up investments. So I would think probably knowing how they work and what they're most prolific for, if you take away kind of the mergers and acquisitions side of their business, they're they're pretty fundamental. They're they're, they're a pretty significant player in, in the uh, what we what we'd call book runners as someone who actually drums up primary investment opportunities. So I think again, if you're looking at say let's say the two and a half billion valuation of the club, City, so City Football Group, who own Manchester City, sold about I think it was 13% of the uh, of the club to the China Media Capital Group, and that was estimated about 265 billion pounds. So if you're saying Roman sells 15% of the club. You know, it's about about 375 million pounds. That's that's quite a big chunk towards uh, towards a new stadium. And I I would say potentially that that what he's exploring is it's less of a let's sell the club for two and a half billion. I think it's more a case of let's seek some some external investment, whether it's from a, a consortium or or you know a, an individual, or, you know a number of people, whatever that are kind of collaborating together. But I, I would imagine looking at some of the figures being bounded about, looking at potential. Um, I suppose p- potential sort of figures that he could potentially release to to a third party um, between 15 and 20 percent of the club would probably cover a significant portion of a new stadium tack on uh, stadium naming rights tack on any any other kind of tertiary uh, sort of upticks that you would potentially get from having a new stadium as well you know I think a large portion of it is covered and I think you know what people are saying is right if you know the stadium costs are creeping up towards let's say a, a billion pounds and I think there was a some some fairly well kind of corroborated stories that Abramovich was looking to spend or at least invest about 400 to 500 million pounds of his own money. Add that to, to a potential investment from someone else that's approaching 400 million pounds. You're kind of quite close to, I imagine, what the, the final figure for a new stadium would be. So, I mean, part of me just said just, just knowing how this this rain group operate um, and, and, and looking really at their focus and, and how they've kind of done these sorts of deals in the past, I would imagine that they are looking primarily to drum up investment um, and I would imagine that in terms of like that equity release from 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 Chelsea that Abramovich would be looking to to generate that that probably would be directed towards the a new stadium costs. I think people who are who are saying that he's going to be selling the club are quite premature. You know, I think Liam makes a good point. Two and a half billion pounds is 
is a lot of money to turn down for anyone. I don't care how much money you have. And the fact that even City, who are obviously backed by by Abu Dhabi and, and Ardia, which is one of the, the biggest private investment firms in the world, have actually released some of the, the firm or, or sold some of the firm off, um, some, uh, some of the City Football Group investment off to, to a Chinese firm, also suggests that that might be something that becomes slightly more commonplace. And they obviously have infinitely more resources than Abramovich being a, a sovereign state. So, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's without the realms of possibilities. And, and again, looking at, at Rain Group, looking at how they operate, knowing them maybe a bit better than people outside of banking, this is one of the things that they do particularly well. And I would imagine that if the club have genuinely engaged them as a, as a partner, um, I know uh, they were looking at the, the naming rights thing a little while ago. If they have retained them in that capacity, then I do feel like this is an opportunity for a Bramwich to potentially sell a portion of the club. I don't think it will release too much, but the, the opportunity to, to generate a significant investment from a third party to help fund the new stadium, I think is a real possibility. I've always suspected that that might be the case. I mean, having said that, and I think reading between the lines, Joe, what you're also saying is, you know, my own view too, which is that everybody does have a price. Everybody has a price. So I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Roman would never sell the club. I think if the right offer came along, I think he would probably say yes. And I think the interesting thing, Martin Samuels, very good, as always, article in the Daily Mail, Brilliant. Uh, pointing out, because I mean, a lot of a lot of people kind of, you know, predicting our demise if Roman ever sells the club. It's a load of bullshit. You know, what Roman has done and what, what we should and will forever be grateful for is to lift us, you know, into the stratosphere in terms of elite clubs. So we are now sought after. We are a worldwide recognised club. And with that comes a very huge value two and a half million at the moment apparently so if if roman did decide to sell um chelsea would would survive more than survive and i mean we may even have more money uh, however what what and i'm gonna i'm basically there's a blog that i've written for football london coming out on this topic this week but what what i would be concerned about is you know at the moment for me better the devil you know uh, you know, Roman Abramovich has been an incredibly benevolent uh, owner for this football club and actually for the supporters. You know, he readily, you know, spunks loads and loads of money away when he gets pissed off that we don't win things. So, you know, it might be a bit weird and frustrating that we get through managers, you know, by the cartload. But he puts his money where his mouth is and where his passion is. And actually, you know, he's all, he's also pretty good I mean, I know he doesn't personally engage with supporters, but he does listen to what we have to say. I mean, the classic example was when we had Benitez and he realised what a rick he'd made. And he actually, you know, randomly sought a few supporters out and sat them down and talked to them about it. So, you know, he's quite a benign owner. What worries me is if that Roman did sell up, it would be who he would sell to. You know, and if he sells to the Qataris or the Chinese or some American franchise group, that worries me. Because those kind of people give not two shits about supporters. They give no shits about them at all. Look at Max. They will railroad over any hang on, just let me finish. They will railroad over anything that we want, forget engagement, forget the culture, forget the history, it'll go. And that really worries me. We will still be very successful as a football club, but if you think that football clubs are out of touch with supporters now in the modern game, you ain't seen nothing until you're owned by a by a nation state or you know, or, or nefarious individual from abroad. I mean, I know City and what they've done kind of would debunk that, uh, but I just think that it would become more of a business, even more of a business, even more of a brand, and we would feel we would get even more alienated away from that. That's my personal viewpoint, but it does worry me that actually what would come after Roman would not be quite as good as Roman is at the moment. Sorry, Jonathan. It wasn't me. 
Oh, sorry. Who wanted to butt in? Oh, no, I was just adding to what Joe. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I always say is, I mean, look at how the Glazers are running Manchester United. I mean, that is... Yeah. You're talking Cronkier about, with Arsenal. Exactly, yeah. You're talking about modern brands, quote-unquote. I mean, they are probably alongside Real Madrid, the most you know reputable brand in, in football, one of the biggest clubs in the world. And what they've done to them over the past you know five years in terms of just stripping money out and, and not really... you know, I mean, they're just so badly run. I mean, that that's the situation that I think... A lot of fans need to kind of realise that that's a very real possibility. And even Liverpool, it's taken them, what, five, six years of ownership to kind of start making the right decisions. And, you know, I look at I look at the Glazers, I look at Levy, I look at Cronker at Arsenal, I look at a lot of these, you know, West Ham's ownership. Admittedly, they're a little bit kind of removed from, from the Romans and stuff like that. But I think it's, a, it's definitely a question of, of be, be careful what you wish for, because, you know, he might be, uh, I think people, are, I think what you're saying the sort of clandestine nature of, of how we operate at the top level does irritate a lot of fans, but I would much rather have him and, and the ownership that's kind of that we have than than West Ham, then then United, then Arsenal, then then Tottenham, etc. So, you know, I think it's it's definitely a case of, of be careful what you wish for because I think that the proof is is in the pudding for a lot of these clubs, particularly as you say, the ones that are run by these kind of American franchise groups, they seem to be getting worse and worse year on year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, Raymond Roman leaving would not be a disaster for the club, but I think it would be a disaster for the supporters. That's really, you know, the the simplest way to put it. So I hope for one that he stays. He's, I think, he genuinely does care for what happens here. You know, I, that's the impression that I get. Okay, we we should wrap this up. Uh, so I've got a few parish notices to read out. The first is a brilliant one. There's this young lad called Liam Dillon, who's clearly uh, trying to make his way in the boxing game, and he tweeted out a load of us really to get uh, get our attention which uh, I duly did and he, he sent me a message saying uh, hi mate thank you so much for your message the boxing game is hard if I don't sell tickets I don't fight so I can't thank you enough so basically I said I would promise to plug his fight his forthcoming fight uh, on here and also I'll stick it on our Twitter etc 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 but he's fighting on the 8th of September at York Hall Jonathan where's York Hall um, I think it's um uh, um, beep. I don't know. Um, uh, no, is, I'm going to look it, it up. Is it, is it in East East? I'm looking up now. Um, it's a famous boxing venue, isn't it? That I do know. Uh, but anyway, he's fighting on the 8th of September at York Hall. Jonathan is scurrying around on his iPad trying to find out Bethnal where that Green. is. He's fighting at York... Bethnal Green. Bethnal Green. York Hall Leisure Centre. There you go. I told Bethnal you. Green. Absolutely yeah. great. Well Sorry, done. what Leisure Centre? York Hall. So, say that again. York Hall Leisure Centre, Chidge. It's, it's, weirdly enough, it's York Hall Leisure Centre. And uh, it's in Bethnal Green. Bethnal Green uh, is it? It's the old Ford Road. It's o two o eight nine eight o two two four three e two. There we go. Nine P J. Bethnal Green Tower Hamlets. Go. He's he's uh, there. We go. So there. I, I told you, told you it was East. Anyway, so he's fighting there on the eighth of September, which I think is a Saturday, at York Hall. He says tickets can be bought directly from Dylan. So, so, sorry, from Liam. Liam Dillon, uh, and the costs are standard tickets are 40 quid, ringside 65, VIP 100 quid. He says he just needs to sell enough standards. If he doesn't sell enough standards, he got, he doesn't get to fight, which would be a great shame. Uh, you, apparently, you can also buy tickets online. It's a ridiculously complicated URL, but uh, it's it's myfighttickets.com. It might be worth just checking that in to your Google uh, and then go myfight myfighttickets.com and then search for Liam Dillon and you might well get what you want. Uh, I will also try and put that link on Twitter, etc. So, so you can see it. So it says, means so much to have your support. Uh, I think another good way to get hold of Liam um, and see if you can get a ticket from him is at Dylan 
D-I-L-L-O-N underscore boxing. So if you like your boxing, and I know a lot of Chelsea supporters do, Liam is proper Chelsea, Chelsea through and through, fights in Chelsea trunks. So if you want to support a Chelsea lad who's trying to make his name in the boxing game, which is bloody hard, I mean, I wouldn't, it doesn't matter how much money you could pay me to get punched in the face. Mind you, lots of people would want to do it for free. I get that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> support Liam. He's a lovely lad. Right. Uh, on that note, uh, Love Sport shows. Uh, Chelsea Fancast Love Sport Radio Show will be back again, as always, this Friday, 7 o'clock till 9 p.m. Uh, and again for the second week running without me. Oh, Yes. Geez. How lucky. Yes, I know Whoa. how lucky you are. <laughs> But Jonathan will have with him, he'll be ably supported by the wonderful Clayton Beerman and the delightful Alex Churchill. And, of course, Aaron uh, Aaron Paul will be playing with his computer and ignoring them all. Uh, but it, sh- it, should be, it should be good fun, as always. Chidge, I'll now, have, the best I'll thing, have of course, mask. I'll put your chidge, my, my chidge mask on. I know. Well, it's all right. You know, What am I doing on Friday? Oh, I'm at the cricket. I'm in Southampton watching the cricket, so I'm not going to be in London. So that's why I'm, I've got the week off again. Uh, but of course, best thing you can do is for phone up, phone in, yeah, and please join the show, phone debate in, with them phone all live. In, phone in, everybody. Did you get any calls on Friday? Uh, Liam phoned, and he was excellent. But apart from that, no phone in. No, phone no, in, not good enough. People, do your job. Phone up the Love Sports Show on Friday between seven and nine, or another moose dies. Right, uh, the number to call is o two o eight seventy twenty five five eight, and of course. Uh, it'll be available as a podcast shortly afterwards, although when shortly afterwards, I don't know, because uh, I should be very pissed having been at the cricket all day. But I'll do my best. I always do. Anyway, it'll be on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, all the usual suspects. If you want to listen live, it's on 558am and on London Digital Audio channels. So there we go. And of course, you can also listen on, on apps like Radio Player and TuneIn. So there you go. Now, before that, we've got the wonderful uh, Kerry Dixon. Me and Kerry will be uh, talking to you all uh, in a little podcast, and that will be hopefully recorded this Thursday evening, depending on how much I've had to drink at the cricket. Actually, I'll be all right because I'm I'm driving with my dad, so I'll be sober. So me and Kerry will do a little show for you on Thursday evening and get that out on Thursday evening. Uh, A quick shout-out for all of our lovely supporters on Patreon. You're all very lovely people, and I love you all personally. Uh, do, by all means, post messages on Patreon, and I will, I've now got the app, so I can reply to you very quickly. We can get into a bit of chat, tell us what you like about the show, tell us what you want on the show, tell us what you want the money to go to, all this kind of thing. You know, So it's a great thing to get involved with. Easy to do. You just have to donate a little bit uh, every month. Just you know, As I said, it's a bit like the fanzine. People pay a quid for the fanzine. A dollar per show is perfectly adequate. Anything you like, there's no pressure or anything like that. And you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. So there you go. Uh, we mentioned the Supporters Trust earlier on, uh, or Dan Lundberg did. Uh, now, it's uh, it's free to join up to be a member, but if you want to have a badge and if you want to be able to vote and attend meetings, then it's five quid. Uh, and you can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com uh, and, of course, you can follow them on uh, Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. And uh, as you know, if you are a voting member, you should by now have received uh, the link to vote for the new board, to elect the new board and for the motions that we uh, put together, which kind of form our agenda for the year. Uh, now, the voting is open until the 2nd of, uh, 2nd of September. So if you're a voting member, you should have had the email with the link. If you haven't, email membership at chelseasupporterstrust.com and we can make sure you get that. But you need to vote for all the people who are standing for the board election and the motions by the 2nd of September. So make sure you do. 
Uh, vote early and vote often, as Dr. Mark used to say. Uh, now, uh, talking of Dan Lundberg, of course, he represents the CFC UK in the States, uh, and he is on at DLundberg underscore. So you can get a, a proper CFC copy from him. But if you're in the in the UK, easy. Go on a on a match day opposite Fulham Broadway Tube. You'll see the CFC UK store. You can get it there in person. Have a chat with Marco and all the usual reprobates like myself that are hanging around, loitering around, looking suspicious. Uh, and of course, there are all sorts of CFC UK sellers around Fulham Road. Uh, and of course, it's available at every away match. And last but by no means least, talking about um, you know p- potential sales of the club and shareholdings going out here and there, uh, one thing that uh, should be immutable and will make you know protect the status of the club as a football club and have football being played at Stamford Bridge forever, no matter who owns it, is the Chelsea pitch owners. And uh, you can become a Chelsea pitch owner shareholder very very easily uh, for about 25 quid these days it's much cheaper than it used to be all you need to do is go to info at chelseapitchowners.com and there you have it there we go that's the parish notices this week Uh, and it is time to go home it's past nine by ten minutes we're late i've kept these lovely lads up far too late i promised them i wouldn't but i've done it again but I'm afraid that is all we've got time for tonight. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday. Uh, that's last week's script, bloody idiot. We'll be back next <laughs> Monday, of course. Next Monday. Um, but at least I've got the line-up right, Jonathan. I didn't get that wrong. I obviously was doing a bit of cut and paste. But we're back next Monday, usual time, 7 o'clock. And it'll be Jonathan, myself, Mark Worrell, and Liam Toomey again. Liam, two weeks in a row. What's going on? It's unbelievable. I think I think uh, we're pushing our journalists too hard. I think we need I think we need a winter break of some kind. Well, that, well, well we can uh, we, we can arrange that. <laughs> but but we, no, I think aren't I'm we just, Liam's agent? What, what, what? Aren't we Liam's agent? So what, oh, we are. Yeah, we are. Should we be have, doing we about? Own, we should we agree with him. Percent of him. So you've been negotiating with yourselves. We have. We are, aren't we? I may I tell you what I think we are absolutely honored to have you on two weeks in a row because uh you know you talk so much sense you have such a completely different insight than us because of course you know as a journalist you're writing about it and you're going to the presses and all of that so I for one am delighted as much as I've been delighted to have Joe Tweedy on for two weeks in a row yeah thanks Chich uh, I'm not sure I can do three in a row but two in a row is definitely no no not too bad <laughs> I tell you what Joe you can have a have the week off next Monday all right awesome thank you Right, okay, so we're back next Monday with Jonathan, Marco and Liam and me. Uh, don't forget to tune in to Love Sport, as I said, with uh, Jonathan Clayton and Alex and Aaron Paul on Friday. Me and Kerry on Thursday, of course. A lot of busy week, all these podcasts you're getting, you know, the things we do for you people. Now, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter, at Chelsea Fancast, me at uh, Stamford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Liam at Liam underscore Toomey. That's the one. Lovely. And Joe, of course, at Joe Tweedy. Don't forget to check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com. Loads of stuff on there. Thank you to Gion and all the Chelsea Fancast bloggers. Uh, and you know who you are. But uh, I, I will do a shout-out for you this Friday. No, I won't because I'll be at the cricket. I will promise to do one sometime so people know who you are. But the easiest thing to do is to go in there and read it. And then you'll find out who they are yourselves. Right. Um, it's been brilliant fun tonight. Lots of good stuff on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you all the people in Mixler who have joined us and made your comments and had some of them read out. It's what it's all about. Brilliant stuff. Thank you, guys. I'll see you all soon. And thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefully, and keep it chels. Up the chels!
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.